There's a tiny door in my office, Maxine. It's a portal, and it takes you inside John Malkovich. You see the world through John Malkovich's eyes, and then after about 15 minutes, you're spit out into a ditch on the side of the New Jersey Turnpike. Sounds great. Who the fuck is John Malkovich? The button's button's already been done hit. (laughs) Surely not everybody was kung fu fighting. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Fast Day with Films. I almost forgot my part. (laughs) Why is he saying the title? (laughs) That's here you can you can fade that song Kung Fu Fighting through this conversation. Like as soon as I say it, (laughs) then go yeah exactly. So you're hearing it now, but I thought of it now. So which was then, which is in the past. Uh, That's a great mug. See. Yeah, uh, I got that mug. What like, came the to day me? That's what came to me. Yeah, I have a mug that says "Surely not everyone was kung fu fighting," and we I received it the day before me and Justin did the kung fu pod. I thought that was crazy, and, and I didn't know that was showing up. It was a Christmas present from uh, Allison, our uh, uh, sister in law. I don't really, I don't <laughs> normally like that stuff, but when it's clever, yeah, when it's certainly clever like that. I, the problem with that mug is it's not big enough. I'm a, I'm a mug snob with the size of mugs. But. <laughs> Do you, you listen to Kyle Kinane at all? Who's this? Kyle Kinane, the comedian. No. And I listen to a lot of comedians. He's weird. Awesome. I haven't heard You of would him. like him. He was like, you know your gravestone doesn't need to be factual, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, here it is. I want to have mine. Here lies Kyle Kinane died in your arms tonight. <laughs> P.S. Must have been something you said. Yeah. He's easy, he's easy like Sunday morning. <laughs> I've been listening to an awesome podcast called The Honeydew, which is Ryan Sickler. You ever hear of Ryan yeah, Sickler? His he's, name he's really right. good, a stand-up comedian. And he it's it's a tragic kind of funny podcast because it's just stand-up comedians coming in and highlighting the lowlights in their life. Oh, so yeah. it's all about their drug addiction and sex addiction as younger and then when they got older and everything. And it's it's fascinating how fucked up people's you know lives what? are. Not, so I'm, I'm taking all my secrets to the grave. I'm not telling anything <laughs> about myself to anybody. Well, then ever. this is the perfect podcast for you why? because you can hear that other people are real. Well, that's why I listen to that's why I listen to Joey Diaz. To be honest with yeah, you, I've never been a criminal in my life, oh, but yeah. I understand. And the allure. Of well, that'll being tell a you something that Sickler had like a he's he has everyone on for one episode, but the Joey Diaz he had a three part. Yeah, he had to. He just, <laughs> he, just one well, for, one for drug addiction, one, one for, for crime, crime yeah, and yeah. then one for just rehabilitation type of deal. Redemption. Man. Yeah, like everyone, I, it really highlights the idea that stand up comedians are most of them are really fucked up, like really fucked up. You don't realize it until you listen to the Honeydew podcast. But I mean, uh, you almost have to be right. Tim Dillon. Tim Dillon's hilarious. And there's man. a reason why a lot of comics at least ones i like edgy comics you know the ones that come from canada they're funny but they're not edgy oh man i could give you edgy ones the guys from boston are always top some of the top ones bill burr is awesome but Uh, but the funny thing is i could list boston comics right now and you would be like whoa that dude's from boston well that's the thing that dude's from boston well i know i know the famous ones from boston but the problem the thing people say about boston uh comics is a lot of those killers they don't leave they don't leave to elevate hire and get sitcoms and stuff like that they just don't want to leave boston because they could go up there and they could do boston themed comedy to that crowd yeah. for the rest of their life you know it's it's interesting kind of a uh, thing it's it's also interesting to see the transition between some of them you, just like the stand up you like Patton, right i like Patton. he was talking about he said i have an offer he he did a casino mm-hmm. he said i paid for one year of my daughter's college in 
30 minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah. He said, and I can, they want me every weekend. That's unusual, so, that's unusual for them, though. Uh, I listen to a lot of, I know a lot of the up-and-coming ones, a lot of the female up-and-comers. Well, he was on already on and, uh, Queen of Queens, oh, so yeah, 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 people yeah. would just... Oh, for sure. But these other comics, they're making 50 bucks a night, you know, and, and they do that for 10 years. And then yeah. when they become regulars, then they'll make about four fifty a week. They're not making killer money until they're uh, selling out uh, arenas, but there are hardly any... That, uh, that's I, would, what I think saying. I would be a good. Burr's like there's only like 20 arena comics out there. Yeah, he says there's all, not many comics that can fill an arena. He says most of them are uh, Chappelle, are Hearts. Ones. Yeah, um, but those are the two big ones, probably. Not to be honest with you, those are the big ones. Cat Williams, Patton, Cat, not anymore. Not, not he can he can in the south. Let's just say that maybe, but yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> well, this is funny because there's also they call them regional comics. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's and like they the can, Boston. They comics. have to stay yeah, yeah. in their region because. Oh, yeah. Someone from Texas is—they're not going to find them super hilarious in New Jersey. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. And there's certain ones that if you're if you're you're liberal, you don't want to be in the South. You want to Ron stick White, to your area. Ron White, he can fill arenas. Yeah, he just—he was out and he's back in now. Yeah. Uh, because of I like Rogan's him. opening a uh, uh, a club in Austin. Rogan's so when it opened, comedy is pretty funny. Oh, it's so funny. I, uh, I, I like his, his his crowd of people is what I like. Like Doug Stanhope, uh, Tony Hinchcliffe. Doug Stanhope is. Uh, I have a Ryan station Sickler, with him. All of so them. I have two stations. Yeah, I have a that I listen to back and forth. One of them is the Stanhope station. Donnell Rawlings. Oh, three stations. So I have fun. the Joey Diaz station. Yeah, and then I have a new one. This guy called Glenn Wool. Yeah, I haven't heard him. And yet. he's great. He's yeah, Steve really Simone. This man. This I could give you a list okay. of a hundred of people. What is this film? What is? <laughs> yeah, let's talk. This is a podcast. I ended up going on a movie tirade this Did week you? and bought. Uh, I was watching a bunch of random ones too. I watched well, I don't, one of them. I don't want to mention because I, it's on my uh, on my wild card episode coming up for episode. Happiness? 200. No, <laughs> I, I, I'd give that another shot. If I look at it, you would be surprised how many people love it. But uh, the problem with happiness was me is you don't know. I, it was one of those situations I didn't know what I was watching before I start watching it. Oh. If, if you went into it and you realized, oh, this is kind of a satirical kind of. It's supposed yeah. to be told in that light. It might be a little different. Uh, no, I, I just don't like, want I just couldn't. I got into Salinas. I wouldn't want to think about that subject for the whole movie. Yeah, it, and it's not the whole movie, but even, it's, it's weird. Even it's weird. at all. It's hard. <laughs> but the I went down like a 70s-like theme this week, so I was watching uh, Cleopatra Jones, which is the black exploitation. She was like black James Bond. Man, you don't uh, have to tell me about no, and, Cleopatra and, Jones. Uh, good Guys Wear Black. I just watched the Chuck Norris uh, movie with Ann Archer and everything where Chuck Norris, like, did that flying kick through the uh, windshield of a car oh, yeah, and yeah, kill, yeah, yeah. Uh, killed the guy. Didn't we see uh, this recently? No, Good Guys Wear Black? No, I just bought it recently. Yeah. Didn't, I must have, I saw that clip somewhere for maybe, some reason. Maybe. Oh, it could have been on like the Canon documentary or something. Could have been. Yeah, that maybe sounds like that. something that would have been on. That's probably where yeah, it was. Yeah, that's probably where it was. Uh, <laughs> but I realized, I was telling you a little bit beforehand, there's a series of DVDs coming out that's going to make me go broke uh, <laughs> called the Twilight <laughs> Time series. They're like Criterion discs, like highly sought after. What's what's key about these discs, they only had 400 titles and they're already out of business. It went out of business in 2019. So the 400 are all they're going to make. And there's, each disc has only got a limited run of 3,000. So there are only 3,000 out there. After that, you're screwed. So they all, obviously, not, none of them are less than uh, 30 bucks. And... Uh, I looked at them, and there's out of the 400, it's probably only 30, 35 titles that I would really want, and I made a list of them and everything. But some of those are ungettable. Like nine to five is $185, and there's only like three on eBay. So like five grand. So everyone's got it. To get all those 35. 
four or five. Well, no, some of them are one hundred eighty-five dollars. No, some I, of them are forty dollars. I know. I have calculated that. Fifty, sixty dollars is where the average one is. Like, there's one for Christine that I have to get because the key with these discs is not only are they good transfers and they got good some good special features. Every single one of them has an isolated movie score. And man, there's something about putting a movie on my TV that doesn't have the dialogue, just the score, and then just because you can talk and you don't have to pay complete attention and you're hearing the music, I fucking yeah. love it. I went down a couple of years ago down a rabbit hole. I bet very little to, people have ever tried that, to be uh, honest with it's you. It's so good. There. There's one for the Big Trouble in China uh, movie, which is weird because it's, of all the movies, my favorite movie. I think one. sci-fis would have to be the best, uh, right? There's not a whole lot of them other than these discs, though. That's why I was surprised when I found out, and I'm like, I'm going through with Eric, and I'm like, oh my god, every single one of these has an isolated movie score. I said, that must be their thing. Uh, because I've literally had done Google searches. What do you, Blu-rays have isolated movie scores? The Alien movies do, but something weird comes across the screen what? during it that says it's the isolated movie score, and I can't get it off. I was like, well, that's just annoying as hell. I'm not going to do that. The bad Eighty nine Batman Blu ray does think that. of doing that. Wouldn't you think the person would want to watch the movie with just the score? Yeah. No, it's Why stupid. would you put a stupid banner across? No, that it was a bonehead. That movie. is so dumb. <laughs> that is so dumb. So I bought four of them this week. Uh, Remo Williams, I dropped fifty bucks for. I was just super excited. I, that's a hard DVD to get anyways, and to get it with Can the you isolated movie score. <laughs> Only if they're going very slowly. Uh, I got Wild Bill, you know, um, Walter Hill's version of Wild Bill, The Train with Burt Lancaster, and Ten to Midnight, man. Ten to Midnight, the Charles Bronson movie. It's one of his best. He just died, didn't he? Who did this? Walter Hill. No, did he? Some direct, some indie director just uh, died. What's his name three died days ago? yesterday? Mac from yeah, Night Court, so. which sucks because they were just doing the reboot, and I don't know if he was planning to be on it and everything, but he could have easily done a guest star. Yeah, if Walter Hill died, I'm going to be sad. He's one of my favorites. I did not hear about it, and usually I do hear Let's about. Hope that I didn't kill one. <laughs> don't don't be killing him off. We've already done his uh, his retrospective. <laughs> if it doesn't say it in the top news, I'm not sure. He's it not happens. dead. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Walt. <laughs> he gets to, oh, you're talking about Dick Donner, Richard Donner, S- somebody. F- yeah, Richard. Some 80s director. Yeah, Richard Donner. Okay. Yeah, he died last week. The Goonies guy, Superman. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's what okay. you're talking about. Him we haven't done, and I've got that slated for the next uh, couple weeks. So you and me will be talking some Dick Donner. Okay. There's a lot more movies than you even thought he did, too. People are going to start dying in droves, though, right? <laughs> They're going to start that, driving in droves? I mean, from that era. Yeah, I mean, we just know more people. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, we just know more people than we did any era before it. So, uh yeah, did you get my you got my text messages about the the movies that play on that PS2, right? I got your text message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am um, So if you need if you need to watch DVDs, I, that's I, the way to do I it. I have to strategically pick my times to do that. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if you realized that you had a working I DVD, did not. Uh, DVD player. Yeah, I my computer got fried and I, I literally for the first time have never had a DVD player ability in the yeah. house. But PS2. Paul told me I had one. PS2. Uh, today and you can watch any of these movies. These are movies that I love. Man, I'm gonna. I left number ten, number ten for a reason because man, I I just it's the, only the second time I saw it and I just love it so much that I was going to watch another one of these and I watched it again <laughs> instead of watching the one of the other ones because I've seen these movies a lot. We we picked some really great ones. We're gonna be talking about best screenplays <clears throat> here and this could have this could easily be uh, a four parter. 
if down the line we could if make we want this to one a four-parter no, that's what i meant this could easily be a four-parter like uh, this just this list well depending on how be. much you want to talk about each of them for sure i mean because <laughs> obviously these are some of the best movies ever made you can't have one of the best movies ever made without a incredible screenplay screenplayers never get uh the credit uh they are due i'm not saying that just because the I good ones do <laughs> good they ones get, do the good ones you know what the credit they get they get to do more of them yeah and i tried to there are some repeat ones by the same guy on this like yeah. we got two charlie kaufman's on here and we have two pt anderson's but, and it took everything in me not to put two quentin tarantino's so yeah. i just left it to one we all know he's one of the best there are some screenplay writers that get billing though like oh yeah yeah aaron sorkin no like they like they advertise the movie as yeah yeah aaron sorkin from the creators of, of such and such and it's the screenwriter that... a lot of the times those screenwriters are the director though Really? A lot of times. Except for Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman, he has directed stuff, but a lot of stuff, he just goes in and writes it and lets somebody else write it. Seems way Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) For sure. The the directing is stressful. Shit. If I could just... And I I would assume that's what Quentin's probably going to do because he's still holding to that 10 film thing. But he wrote... uh, And I told mom about it and she ordered it. I don't know if she's read it yet. But he went back and wrote a novelized version of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like 400 pages. And so... it's his first novel he ever wrote. It's on Amazon right now in like this cool paperback kind of 70s style book. Tarantino? <laughs> Tarantino wrote it. Yeah. But he started so, as a scriptwriter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Play. He was working at the video store and he wrote True Romance and yeah. Natural Born Killers and sold both of them. And that's kind of how Him he started. Him and Kevin off. Smith have that in common. Yeah. yeah, yeah Doesn't yeah. Kevin Smith working at a video store? He did. But he and, didn't. Uh, he made And then his he own put movie. everything on his credit cards, though. Yeah, yeah. He put everything on his every, credit like cards. Like 35 grand worth. 22,000, I think, yeah, is what it was. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, we ended up spending that much on some of our movies. Yeah, we didn't but put we went out and earned the money to do the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. do it. Like, yeah, yeah. if we didn't earn the money, we weren't going to do yeah, it. We so. just make the pre-production yeah. that long yeah. <laughs> until you have the money yeah. you need. If we had gone into debt, uh, it would have been... Yeah, I would have rather... Been it's smarter <laughs> than... Uh, <laughs> I've done some... Uh, credit eyebrow raising stuff in my life, but I've never gone too crazy on credit cards, thankfully. So I've got no credit card debt. I... When I was younger, I did poorly with it, and then I made amends, paid it all off. Then I said, screw credit yeah. for a long time. I did that. And just kept a bunch of cash in my yeah. bank account. Yeah, that's exactly and then anytime I, I needed to, instead of putting yeah. it on a card, I would just pay for it out of that yeah. other account. And then put it back in. Now I I married somebody with a hundred thousand well, dollars worth of credit. <laughs> I mean, I probably have fifty or sixty grand worth of credit yeah, yeah, yeah. too now, and yeah. I don't use any of it except. And my except credit's for, good now, being attached to except her. for his. Uh, we'll get to movies eventually. <laughs> I promise. Well, we've been talking movies, <laughs> but uh, I don't know what my point was. But if you ha- if yeah, credit card, you gotta respect them. Yeah, I use mine for the Delta Sky Miles. Oh yeah, I have like I could take four free flights. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, see, that's the key to doing that type of thing. Yeah. Is you just, and I think we're probably close to doing that too. And so. I can go in those Delta Sky lounges when you yep. get to the airport. That's key, man, right there. And sweet, free food, free liquor. They let you put your feet up. It's, a, it's they the have greatest. Fr- they have showers. <laughs> they have free showers for oh yeah yeah for, for travelers. travelers. Yeah yeah, it's awesome. It, it's you walk in there and they're like, yes, Mister Dupree, no, uh, Mister Dupree. You, yeah. So Christina's been to a bunch of them because Stephen always had yeah, Delta Sky miles. <clears throat> I, I felt a little privileged because I walked by in Jacksonville this 
400 person line to McDonald's yeah. to go inside and get fresh made breakfast burritos and I'm looking outside watching these guys. Well, they, the windows are fogged because I didn't want you to see us having fun. See you, peasants. <laughs> yes. I had that moment. <laughs> I don't get to have that moment very often. All right. So let's go into the screenplays list here, man. The the first one is one of those ones that you tell somebody what the premise is about it and they're like, holy crap, we have to go see this movie like immediately. Yeah. And this was 1999's one of Charlie Kaufman's uh, greatest <laughs> screenplays ever written, being John Malcolm. Bitch. my god something just just his brain is, they must have pitched it to him and he was like let's do it this because anybody they pitched this to if it was if it was harvey keitel harvey keitel would have been like fucking hey let's do yeah. this so it, it's <laughs> actually his name is in the title it's actually pretty brilliant in a great kind of stroking of that actor to be like i've written this movie about you you know with your head in your life and it's very well, interesting. So why don't you so set the premise up? So it's a pretty simple premise. It's pretty e- simple. Even, even though it's complex at times, for sure, is John Cusack works at this office kind of little office building on like, the, is it 12 and a half floor? Yeah. <laughs> the 12 and a half floor, which is actually is reduced. Yeah. The boss makes that great joke. Low overhead. We pass the savings on to you. <laughs> <laughs> so when he goes into his office, he sees that there's a tiny door behind like the filing cabinet. He drops a file back there. He has to move the filing cabinet. When he opens it up, it, it shoots him into the, like the POV of John Malkovich for whatever reason. You don't know why. And it takes him a while to realize it. that, holy shit, I'm in John Malkovich until he, John Malkovich looked into a mirror and he was like, holy shit, I'm seeing through Malkovich's eyes and everything. And after about 10 minutes, it shoots you out onto the side of the New Jersey turnpike <laughs> and you're covered with this like nasty Primordial kind of like Ghostbuster goo. Yeah, <laughs> like this almost shit looking substance. It's slimy, right? And, and <laughs> you have to like trek back down the Jersey turnpike back to wherever you are from and it's just crazy. And That's Mal- how far you'd have to get in that yeah. pitch. Yeah. That's like we're in, you know. But then it, <laughs> he starts selling kind of trips into Malkovich, and then the the Catherine Keener stuff is some of my favorite stuff because yeah. at first she doesn't know who the fuck Malkovich is. Uh, John Cusack tells her, he says, "Oh, that's interesting. Who the fuck is John Malkovich?" And he's got to explain. Oh, he's an actor. He was in this movie. He was in the movie with that kid. You know, <laughs> none of them were very like huge John Malkovich fans. He, you know, and he did a great role because he was pretty self-effacing. In- well, that's the key to it. You don't realize how involved Malkovich is going to be in this but you do get to see his point of view where he's hearing voices people are people learn how to make him manipulate that his movements remember she he what's uh John Cusack makes his uh, Malkovich's hand move over Catherine Keener's like boob and he's like I made his hand move (laughs) but talk about there was some weird sexual stuff where uh Keener wanted a lesbian relationship with that girl, but he she wanted to do it while she was behind Malkovich's eyes. Yeah, yeah, in, in Malkovich. Malkovich. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's very complex <laughs> and, and every weird thing that could happen. And then my favorite part of that whole movie, we're gonna do in spoilers or yeah, that's the okay. problem with these movies is you this is spoil it this you is gonna be give a honors this is gonna be a real spoiler filled episode. So that most of our episodes are not. So if this is if you're bothered by spoilers, the good thing about this is these are like ten of the top top notch films that yeah. most people have, have seen. Before, Todd Fader so. was uh, Luke. <laughs> oh shit! You just go right in there. <laughs> <All right. laughs> you're, you're giving spoilers for movies that aren't even on the list. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we're spoilers, so go ahead. What, what part were you talking about? Um, <laughs> you lost your train of thought. I lost my train of thought. The um, the end part where Malcolm uh, Cusack wants to be a puppeteer, mm-hmm. and 
I mean, that was his original. It's, that was his concept. original thing, but he was kind of like a flawed yeah. or a failed actor. wasn't very good at his him realizing that he's literally can control Malkovich. Yeah, but then to use Malkovich's, um, you know, prestige persona, and, and yeah. persona. He was able to make that and become like the greatest puppeteer and was like it was a weird twist towards it, like, the end. It, it like. You Where know, Malkovich galleries. just lost control of himself after a while. But yeah. The best part for me is when Malkovich went through it, you know, you know, and he found out about it. Oh, he and he sc- went to the restaurant and everybody was Malkovich? Yeah, yeah. Malkovich, Malkovich, <laughs> Malkovich, Malkovich. But when he's talking to, uh, and they went in multiple times. Remember, he, Malkovich went in with the other guy. Like, Malkovich shows up at the office building because he hears about it. Uh, somehow, and he's standing in line. He's got like a red hat on and everything. Oh, trying they to, start trying charging to blend people. In. Yeah, he's charging That's... like uh, twenty bucks a pop to go in Malkovich. And they then... should have just controlled Malkovich and then gone with his debit card. <laughs> yeah. <out of> the <laughs> bank. yeah. So then Malkovich comes up into the line and he was like, he's like, I want to go through, and he's like, well, Mister So and So's in there right now, and he ends up going in there uh, at the same time with this guy. So that was the first time we saw that two people could be in there. I mean, they could put take tours of people in there, I suppose, and then they all get shot out. Out on the turnpike and everything so it's very interesting but yeah obviously he's pissed he comes out and uh he screams this is my head man this is my head and he's just screaming remember the guy throws the can at him on the <laughs> side of the road hey malkovich <laughs> like you could tell it was it him was a weird movie was, man. i mean most a lot of these are weird movies yeah a lot of these are weird not weird movie. but like definitely on the darker on the yeah, I mean, there's two ways you could really go with when you get an incredible screenplay. It's just so crazy that you never even thought anyone could write this, or it's just so good that you don't think anyone could write this. You know, in, in movies like... There's Morgan, not really any feel-good movies on this one, unless you look, look at number seven as sort of a feel-good movie. There's somewhat of a feel-good thing to him, but not, not a whole lot. Uh, you could say five at points worth, but I don't know. Yeah, these are all kind of dark, dark movies. So, yeah, Being John Malkovich, you haven't seen Being John Malkovich, and it's not one of those ones that was, it's very possible you haven't seen it. And there's nothing we're, we're given out in that movie that uh, that won't keep you from really enjoying the hell out of it. You're going to want to see what we're talking it's about. It's a weird, weird movie, man. It's like, it could have easily been on here, but uh, Lars and the Real Girl was like that. Yep. You know, when you're like, wow, yeah. this concept is just so crazy that it's either going to really work or it's going to really be bad. So you better hire, like, the best you of the best. You know which one I really liked was the Ryan Reynolds played a hitman mm-hmm. and his dog and cat. Oh, yeah, yeah, the voices. Had the voices. Yeah, that's like, what he was called. he was friends with his dog and cat. I think cat. the movie's called Voices. It, it looks, if you watch a trailer, yeah. you would think it was silly and not worth your time. It was really good. Yeah. I mean, and that's because of Ryan Reynolds, yeah. too, you know? And even like with Ryan Reynolds, that Buried movie, where it's just oh, him in yeah, a yeah. box. That was a good movie, but that movie. was a serious movie. This yeah, is that a was movie. a serious movie, but this, uh, but it's also one of those movies that, man, it could go bad or it could go great. You just have to cast it really well. And that's the thing with these movies. I mean, there's not a it goes bad, bad. There's not a bad actor in any of these. Oh, I mean, mo- there can be really. I mean, you got to look at these as they were the top scripts of their year. Yeah, and maybe yeah. not the best of the year, but in the top five, probably every single one every of these was one. nominated, if not one best screenplay. I don't think a lot of these had one best screenplay, to be honest with you, but I think a lot of them were, were nominated. All right, this next one. This was 2000. Me and Dave actually saw this in the movie theater, not knowing what the hell it was about, just that everyone's like, holy crap, you need to go see that movie. Yeah. And this was 2000's Memento, and wow. If, if you weren't yeah. ready in the first minute, you would get ready yeah. <laughs> soon. Yeah. Because and then you spend the next two or three sequences getting used to this yeah. Talk about this space not going to the bathroom or going yeah, to the concession you just stand. Could not. Fuck no. This movie at all. Yeah. If you're going to watch Memento, 
be sure to have uh, a pause button. Be, if you need yeah, it. have a pause button. <laughs> be focused. Be ready for it. I don't think this is one of the ones I've uh, lent mom because she's she she would, she, she she would she love would. it or she would not. It's one of those things. I don't think she would like the the trying to figure out. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It, it, you ha- it, you're an active participant. But it's in a this quick movie. pace. Yeah. For her, it's a very quick pace. He's got so. You want me to tell the person? Yeah, go ahead. Um, Guy Pierce. Yeah, and you can fill in the ga- gaps because it's been years and years yeah. since I've seen this one. But he basically wakes up every day. It's not every day. It's every no, 10 minutes. Every t- 15 minutes. Yeah, it's like 10, 15 minutes. Every 10 or 15 minutes. He well, he got in a car accident, right? Or some traumatic? No. He All got, right, you uh, tell him. <laughs> <laughs> he got shot uh, in the head. Well, no, he got thrown into the mirror with his wife. Remember, there was a yeah. break-in at his house. His wife was killed. He was thrown in the mirror, and he got a really horrible head injury. And so now he's constantly trying to figure out who killed his wife. And it's a scenario that he keeps working out in his head. So every 10 or 15 minutes, I think it's probably closer to 15 minutes, his brain gets wiped clear, and he has to wake up and figure out where he is and what's going on again. So to do that, he just writes himself tons of notes. He's got tattoos all over his arms, and they're kind of reversed, so he can read them, or he can, or they're in the mirror in reverse, so he can look in the mirror. So when he gets up, he's and got... it's really he, only short-term memory, Lucas. Yeah, like he doesn't... Short-term... He knows... He, he knows, has some log... I mean, he can drive. He can do yeah, stuff like that. He can do all the like, things that he grew up doing. Like, yeah, he's a tattoo artist. Obviously, he learned how to do that. Yeah. It, it's, it's only, like, uh, new memories. Everything from the accident on, I think, is what they've, they've said. You would have to surround yourself some with some really good This was good, written by Christopher Nolan. Uh, Christopher Nolan, obviously, become huge. He's he loves one of timeline these, manipulation. He's one that's of those favorite. guys that are, like, I'm writing the script and I'm directing the script because that's just my thing. Same with Quentin. Same, yeah. same with well, P.T. Why Anderson. would you want someone to screw up your no. vision if I you mean, have a perfect M. vision? Nights like it. that. I mean, those guys do, every once in a while, kind of drift to someone else's property, but it, it's very rare. Like, Quentin did uh, Jackie Brown which was an Elmore Leonard book, which is it's rare for him to do that type of thing. Almost but everything I, is I bet his. he worshipped that guy. Yeah, I mean, Elmore Leonard is, is classic. He is the version of Quentin in paperback mm-hmm. form, really. But Christopher Nolan had only done the following, I think, before this. <laughs> That's how Quentin would tell people, uh, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's me of that generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So no one knew who Christopher Nolan was. He he didn't hit it big uh, until Memento, and then even with Memento, it was like word of mouth. Have you heard yeah. about Memento? Only big movie fans were really well, into it. He went it was from, very indie because this was probably done on the cheap. Yeah, and it was basically three people. You had Joey Pants, and you had uh, Carrie Ann Moss, who had come off the Matrix, so everyone knew her from the Matrix, and she was pretty big. And Guy Pierce, we had already known from a couple big things. I think. Count of Monte Cristo had already come out and a few of his earlier stuff. But it was phenomenal. I mean, you know, and like I said, being an active participant was fun because it, it mm-hmm. took you about 10 or 15 minutes to get in the groove of things. You were like, all right, the, because not only is he, the movie is told completely in reverse. <laughs> if this, if the idea of only new memories isn't difficult enough to grasp, yeah, you are watching a 10 minutes and then you're watching the 10 minutes that got you to Up there to 10 and then the and one then the before thing, there, which is so on and so on. That I hasn't been done before. No, no I mean, one had, the, done, no one had done that before. If you were in the movie theater with us, everyone was looking around at everyone else like, I mean, what Tarantino the was, does the fraction timeline, yeah. but this was a definitely a different feel. And the cool thing was is because it had to do with memories, you you were, act, like you said, you were active participant too, but you were just as unaware about yeah. stuff as the, he was, the main character was. Like the, well, they... 
You the movie started really with that reverse gunshot where he shot someone and you don't yeah. know who he shot. But really the movie started in the hotel room. And and what was interesting about that is he woke up in bed and then he went through and he's 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 narrating to himself. He's like, what is this? A new fresh tattoo. And he's looking at the tattoos. He's looking in the mirror and everything. And then the, something happens in the uh and the only the first time it's very jarring so the the scene cuts and then it cuts to another scene but it all leads up to him sitting on that bed yeah. and then you you realize oh shit i see what i'm watching here i'm watching the scene that got us to this scene and then you're watching that scene yeah. that got you so, to that but it scene. did take you three scenes to really figure it to, out to be able to get the gist of it and everything and it's <laughs> my, a lot more fun than i'm describing it i'm describing my, my, my favorite part in the beginning of the movie was joey pants trying to trick him that he was the one that owned the jaguar yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he uh, Guy Pierce has a Polaroid, a lot of Polaroids yeah. too, that uh, say, This is my car, don't trust this guy, or don't believe what this person says. The scene with Carrie Ann Moss when she starts manipulating him halfway mm-hmm. through the movie is is that oh wow kind of like moment. Like when he goes out and she knows. Well, she goes out. She can switch gears. She punches. Uh, Guy Pierce gets angry and like assaults her at some point punches her in the face and then she goes out in her car leaves the house goes out in her car and waits 15 minutes and comes in and blames it on somebody else like somebody just hit me you're gonna have to uh and he says well i'll help you with that and i'm like holy shit she is manipulating him like hardcore and maybe everyone is and that's it's such a fantastic they made it seem like everybody yeah like anybody that knew about it was gonna manipulate him you knew joey pants he was kind of his friend, but he kind of wasn't, and it was it was interesting. Joey's pants is nobody's friend. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> kind of true. Write that down, and, and even his brother put it in the, the notebook. <laughs> I don't wear a toupee. <laughs> I love. Joey I'm Pence. not saying I don't like the guy. No, I love Joey Pants. You can put him in anything. But but yeah, there's a reason why he plays those roles. He's yeah. really good at them. So that was like straight up in the theater. We saw that, and uh, we were in on the uh, the beginning of it, where everyone was telling everyone. That's why I ended up watching it a lot. Like when it came on DVD, anyone that came What's over the, the house. The most confusing moment you've seen at a movie. Most confusing movie. Yeah, from, no confusing moment at a theater where you. Where, do you ever notice when the crowd realizes well, the car's something? Getting lost. Yeah, the, that Vanilla Sky movie. lost everybody. Like, oh. there's a moment in Vanilla Sky. Vanilla Sky was a weird movie, that Tom Cruise, Cameron Crowe movie. Didn't like it. And there was a lot of weird shit that happened. And I'm like, I'm like, does anyone here know what the hell's going on? It was kind of like that memento at the very beginning. But yeah. then everyone, it, it made it clear. But there has been obvious. The, the funniest burst out moment that I ever saw in a movie theater was when I went and saw, um, God, I'm not going to forget the movie. Describe it. Act it Robert up. Downey Jr. does the, does the blackface. Oh, Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder. Yeah, I think we saw it together. Remember the commercials they ran at oh, the yeah. beginning? Yeah. Busted Nut Bar? Yeah. And they ran them as straight commercials? Yeah. And right after that Busted Nut Bar, a bunch of girls in the audience were like, what the fuck is this <laughs> shit? We didn't know it was going to happen. Like, this, no, It's they, funny that I mom has that right now. I just lent it oh, to her. Yeah? So she's probably also going to be confused with what the hell happened. But at least you might you know it's a commercial if yeah. it's on the fruit of a DVD. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> true. Uh, yeah, it's really funny, though. All right, that movie is not on, even though it was clever. It's not on our list. This next one, this was a movie I didn't see in the theater, and people, I don't know, I, I must have just been, I was just out of high school, and I was doing a lot of uh, partying, I think, and then someone had mentioned to me, oh, you haven't seen 1995 7? And he's like, you got to see 7, man. And I'm pretty sure I saw it on, there was, the Fight Club was like that, too. I hadn't seen Fight Club. I had to watch it on DVD. Uh, Fight Club could have easily been on this list. It'll be on part two. 
Uh, but 12, 12 Monkeys. Seven, man. Yeah, there's a lot of them. A lot of just those ingenious screenplays, man. Seven was one of those, man. Just to be able to take a premise that most people were familiar with, at least people who were kind of religious, no knew about the... Man, put that on there. Yep, that I'd could easily Zodiac been on there. On there too, man. Yeah, man, we'll, we'll do a... We can do a series. But with Seven... What are the seven deadly sins? We can wrath, sloth, envy, sloth, envy, um, uh, pride, pride, lust, gluttony, gluttony, and one more. Uh, we say and we said envy, pride, wrath, uh, sloth. I'm trying to think of the what uh, think of the crimes. Yeah, think of the crimes. What was the one with the uh, the horrible uh, uh, knife dildo thing? Oh, uh, damn, we're missing one. Is that lust? That wasn't lust? I said lust. That might have been lust. Yeah. <laughs> It'll hit us when we're talking about the crimes yeah, here. Okay. <laughs> so basically it was... Greed. It was greed. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> Why I didn't realize that one first? <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> That's my favorite of all sins. Oh, oh that guy got his love handles cut off, though. Oh. Uh. So this was basically a serial killer killing people uh, by the seven deadly sins. Yeah, picking someone out that he fits... And he thinks fits that profile. This hit great on every level. So the the author, and I'll give him credit here. Let me look up the... Uh, most of these I know, but there were like two that I w- wasn't familiar with their other stuff. So this was Andrew Kevin. Is this the Kevin. first one to have an asshole alert? Uh, asshole alert? Yeah, like there's an asshole. Yeah, but you movie. don't have to see him until the end. It's okay. like watching Bugs Life. It's all right. He's an asshole cricket. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or a uh, grasshopper. Uh, so Seven was written by Andrew Kevin Walker. And uh, he's one of the only ones. You got on this three list. names, you know you're good. You're, you're on your way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he wrote a brilliant script, and they gave it to a brilliant young director who it was a big chance because fin- this was Fincher, Fincher, but he had only my done fam- Alien Three, and he had done The Game, I think. One of and my then right after that, he directors did seven. of all time. Oh yeah, Fincher's amazing. He comes out with a new movie. You got to watch. But his same with his stories are incredible. He just knows how to tell them, man, and he he's really good. And he got the he got some shit when he was younger. Uh, for some of his early movies that I loved, so I never understood it. And Seven definitely set everyone right. They got two incredible actors. You got Brad Pitt and uh, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman just adds... Morgan Freeman shouldn't have, should have won... I mean, he well, should have won Academy Awards for probably 10 movies that he had done that he never got an award for. I'm not when, sure. When was, his, when was his big run? Like Shawshank? Shawshank, that was 95, so, or 94, 95. So this was that run. Wait, was that Shawshank's run. on here, isn't it? No. I thought Shawshank was on here. Guess not. That'll be on part two. Uh, <laughs> but that was around the same time because Shawshank came out the same time as Forrest Gump as Green, Pulp Fiction. Green Mile wasn't too far behind that either, was it? Green Mile was a few years behind that and everything, but he wasn't in that. No. Uh, but yeah, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman was always huge for me. I loved him in Johnny Handsome, and he, he played kind of the asshole and a couple different things. But I, I guess his biggest movie was Lean on Me. Because he was around a lot before Lean on Me, and then Lean on Me came out, and everyone knew who One he was. One of the only bad guy roles is when that when the, the torrential rain. They were yeah, the hard rain. Hard, hard rain. rain. Yeah, hard rain. He was great in that. Yeah, he was really good in that. And he was kind of an asshole in Johnny Handsome, except he kind of turned. Mean, he turned all right towards yeah, the end. But, he wanted to help him. Uh, so seven man. So it, you literally you get to see him go through all these crimes. He starts with gluttony. Some and, of them are hard to watch. That yeah. one was that one was gross, man. It was gross, but that was it was it just hard gr- to watch. It was wasn't hard to watch. It was but just gross. gross. You got this like four hundred pound guy who is basically kind of 
he's been there so long that he's almost melded with the chair that he's in and there's just nasty stuff the whole movie is dark and i don't mean mm-hmm. like uh, tonal it is tonal also but in like production design dark wet rained outside people wearing hoods it, it must have been kind of a miserable set to be on except for that last day yeah, the last day you get to nice brighten up. Let's yeah. start, start them with that. <laughs> Work them back. And uh, so, yeah, the gluttony one. And then when they moved the refrigerator and they saw the word gluttony on the yeah. wall, you're like, oh, it's on. It's now, that man. classic case was, I was supposed to retire at the end of the yep. week. Yep. I had one day left. <laughs> his, little, his box was literally packed at his desk. It was literally the, we're going to have to switch chairs with you. Here, switch chairs. You got a squeaky chair? You got, you got the squeaky chair. There's always one chair here That's that squeaks. you later when you're listening to it? Uh, I notice it now, so I just didn't want to have to notice it later. <laughs> but uh, We disturbed a cat. Nope. Is she on the move? No. No, nah, she's good. Uh, so yeah, where were we? Okay, so we went from gluttony, we went to the greed. In the greed, he had killed a lawyer, and he did like this, like, the scale thing where he put like a pound, a pound, of, of, flesh. Uh, a pound of flesh. Yeah. Nobody cries for dead lawyers, though. Yeah. So. Sorry, lawyers. So some of the other ones, what was the... Uh, I'm a marketer. I'm next in line after the lawyers. <laughs> the sloth one was difficult. Sloth. That was the one where he kept the drug addict oh, yeah, in the bed yeah, yeah. and he just looked like it was the the and McKinley dude is the one that flashed yeah, him in yeah, the McKinley. eye what's his you first what you deserved yeah William McKinley William, or uh, no. William McNamara William damn man he's a guy from Scrubs and from yeah. Platoon and all the uh, yeah. Oliver Stone movies I loved him in Wall Street too yeah yeah uh, he's great in everything but he had a, such a small role in this we got a box we got a box <laughs> we got that at the end <laughs> their boss too Arlie Emery uh, coming on as the uh, the boss, probably his second most famous role. What was the movie he did where he was a played a boss, another boss? It was an indie movie. Arlie Emery. Yeah, hmm. it was sort of like that Kevin Spacey where he treated everybody like shit. Oh, Swimming with Sharks. He was. It was like similar to Swimming with Sharks. When he was, was the asshole. Yeah. Huh. I don't. Remember. Oh, Willard. Willard. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I don't think I would have pulled that out. But that's a big screenplay right yeah, there. Yeah. Man. <clears throat> that was a crazy one. He was an mm-hmm. asshole boss to Crispin Glover and mm-hmm. had to get him with those rats. Yep. Uh, so yeah, the one with the, that was just a great makeup on that guy. They just found one of the skinniest guys they could yeah. and they just layered him with makeup. And you, we, you 100% thought this guy was dead. And then when he started coughing and his eyes were bulging and that doctor, if you shined a flash, the guy who played like Howard Stern's dad yeah. in the private mm-hmm. parts, if you shined a flashlight in his eyes mm-hmm. right now, he'd die. <laughs> what I, the comment that, um, that, um. Morgan. Morgan Freeman makes about the patience that it took. Oh, yeah. Because remember, he took photos like day one, day two, day 10, yeah. day 300. Like methodical or, is like... Like they knew they were they knew they knew were working against a guy yeah. that thought... If he didn't want to be caught, no. he would never be caught. I mean, he got caught in the... I think a lot of serial callers think that about themselves too, you know, <laughs> that, you know, they'll never catch me. And BTK probably never would have been caught. No, but he, he didn't give them that disc. He gave him the disc to uh, to his computer or his computer drive, and remember, he even asked the uh, he asked the FBI, "Is there a way you can uh, tell what's on there and everything?" And that's how he got caught. But I think he wouldn't have gotten caught if he didn't well, write yeah. those letters. He if, like he was out of the was public the, eye. The start of it was the letters, but then he ended up giving his computer over. Yeah, and that computer don't do over. That. They linked him to everything. So stupid. Uh, uh, Zodiac obviously got away with everything. So, I mean, it's possible. And the seven guy obviously was. And when they, they were lucky to find his house. I mean, they had to, and 
in Kevin Spacey's eyes, they kind of cheated a little bit when they went to the Stinky Man and got the yeah. illegal list of people that were putting out library Checked books. Out those library books. And when they showed up at his house, though, and you got to see those like what those those great books that we had in the eighties, yeah. those journals, just methodically written, just for production design. Would this it, movie, would if this movie didn't Morgan win Freeman for said, if we design? had a team of people, if we had twenty people reading yeah. twenty four hours a day, it would still yeah. take two years. Yeah, yeah, years. something like crazy <laughs> like that. The production design of this, I don't know if they won for it, but they should have because well, someone the put in credits. Some shit. Remember the opening credits? Oh, yeah. on the DVD. Someone had to do all those books, man. And this with Trent Reznor. This was one of the first times yep. that Fincher team with Reznor and the score was well, amazing. This is completely unrelated, but I just thought of it. What was that stupid movie you had to solve a riddle on the title page to even get to the... Memento. It was that a bitch. Was Memento. It sucks. I knew it was that. Usually when I buy the DVD for myself that or if I'm buying it for other people, I have to buy him the original version and not the collector's edition because that collector's edition frustrates the shit out of people. It frustrates the shit out of me. I get it. I get you want to be clever, but come on. I just want to watch the fucking special features. I don't want to have to play a game could, of Hangman. You should be able to just shut that off. <laughs> you should be, and you can't. That is definitely the number one most frustrating Blu-ray oh, I'm glad that ever, movie we're talking about ever so. to be put out yep. on. You hear that, Memento? You one, uh, yeah, you won. You don't. I don't want it. It's not in my collection, and it's a better version of the blue uh, of the DVD. See for sure. how annoying you you talked yourself right at sales. Yep. <laughs> All right. So yeah, seven. We, we can hold the yeah. ending off, but it was uh, and most people. What's in the box? Yeah. What's, what's in, in the, the box? box? I mean, the, one of the most famous lines and everything, and it's just it, from beginning to end, just a perfect, perfect movie, man. All right, we're going to jump ahead to 2007. I saw this while we were making our last movie, while we were making uh, Project Threshold. I was, I don't know why I went, because I was like, I just wanted to do something with some of the crew members uh, and the cast after the movie, but I had worked like a 12, we had done like 12 hours, and I said, let's go to the movies. So we went to the like 10 p.m. version to see There Will Be Blood in 2007, and I was fighting off sleep. Like, to the point where I was missing major plot lines. It wasn't the most enjoyable experience the first time I saw it. I almost fell asleep on the girl uh, uh, next to me. How did they talk and you to... I went with, that the last I went night? with Kara, that wasn't the with last Bobby, night, was Kara, Bobby, and Tina. Were we filming the next day? Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, I don't know what we That's had filmed that day. Yeah, it was crazy. And, and I was almost dead tired. And I kind of missed what was going on <laughs> in half of it. Because it wasn't like... If you're going to do that, at least go see Fast and the Furious or something. Go, don't go see a two-hour and 45-minute two movie that just is silent for half of it. You know, and I, I made that mistake. But the second viewing, I really appreciated it. <laughs> so this was P.T. Anderson. I've been with P.T. Anderson ever since uh, Hard Eight. Uh, Hard Eight was my kind of introduction to them. And then Boogie Nights came out, which we will be talking about a little later, uh, was one of the most perfect movies ever, in my opinion. And there will be blood, though. Whew, man. So I, I always say there might be blood when I'm trying to talk, oh, yeah? talk to people about this be. movie. <laughs> I don't know why I do that. you got to be emphatic, man. No, there will be. <laughs> I mean, it makes more sense. <laughs> like, Otherwise, it's just a casual warning. <laughs> He's not that good of a salesman if there might yeah. be. Yeah, there might be. <laughs> Brilliantly cast, obviously, Daniel Day-Lewis I mean, he and becomes... Paul Dano. Paul Dano, t- one of the first movies. Yeah. I you, mean, Paul Dano had done The Little Miss Sunshine. So I don't know if we talked about it, but you saw that movie since... Yeah, Love and Mercy. Love and Mercy. You, yeah. Did you like it? I loved it. He yep. was great. Paul yeah. Dano's... Paul Dano's amazing. The, the idea that he's going to be playing the Riddler in the new Batman movie just makes that movie completely yeah. perfect for me. He is, like... He is next level. If you if you're looking mm-hmm. for the next Daniel Day Lewis or Sean Penn or Gary Oldman, or Crispin Glover, it's yeah. It well, <laughs> he did have his moments. Uh, 
it, he's right in front of you right now, and you should be enjoying him, and that is Paul Dano. Paul Dano is next level. Yeah. And he hasn't even done his best movie yet. I mean, he, he's not even come close to doing his best movie. And some of these movies he's been in, he was phenomenal with. He was nominated for There Will Be Blood, and he deserved to be nominated. I think Daniel Day won for this. Uh, Daniel Day won. He has, a, he has a contractual obligation. That he <laughs> yeah. has to win one every four There has to be a 75% chance I'm going to yeah. win an award for this if I'm yeah. going to do it. If he goes four years without one, they have to give him like a big <laughs> payout or something. Uh, so give us the premise for There Will Be Blood. He's an oil man. He's an oil man. That's right. <laughs> this is my son. He's an oil man, too. Basically, <laughs> he's an oil prospector. He goes around looking for land. This was, what, mid-1800s, yeah, maybe? M- Pre-Civil War or post? Would right. Would you guess? I would say right before it. Okay. Because I think the railroads were just becoming a thing, and their railroad systems were pretty good during the Civil War. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it would almost, the Wild West was right before that, but it wasn't quite. So maybe the 1840s, 18, If I was going to guess, yeah, late 40s, late 50s. I'm only speculating. I'm not a history major. <laughs> But he would basically go around and look for places where he thought there would be oil. Yeah. Let the he would make an offer to the people on the land, or he had let them drill down to see if there. And was you oil. got to see him like go out there yeah. and test. And he it was in and, the field doing it, the yeah. stuff. I mean, he was. So that's how it started. It, for it him. started. He was probably just a small yeah. time one man guy that knew what he was doing. And the thing with him is, he was using his son as an advantage oh, point. Well, know, it wasn't even his son. Remember? Yeah, that's right. So, so at the first rig, and this scene was great. Um, you imagine they're the places they are, yeah. like dangerous. This is, yeah. Know, remember, one of the guys gets crushed by the machine. Oh yeah, and they, it's, it's it's horrible, but it's it, one of those things that you could tell that oh, it's Friday. You know, someone died this yeah, week. That yeah. board that says almost we've like had the, zero when, days since an accident the, yeah. is always at zero. <laughs> well, almost like with the railroads, like yeah. people would die yep. every day. You're dragging the body off. It's unfortunate. Yep. Send their wife their last paycheck, and that's it. Yep. And uh, so the the baby, there was just a baby. Yeah. Left over from this guy dying. Yep. This guy died, and he just ended up raising it and. Uh, it's hard you to say. You can tell what he his had a connection. Yeah, at the very I'm beginning, sure he, he had... wanted him to have a, a. He, I think he wanted his own son, but he didn't. He wanted and this an was heir. as close to. Yeah, he wanted some kind of heir, and, and when he kind of turned on him, well, actually, and it was weird because there was another accident. Yeah. When he would father along, the kid would go and travel with him yep. if you want to talk. But this was before and, and that accident. was what was good about it because you could tell this was my son. He uh, and it kind of humanized mm-hmm. uh, Daniel yeah. Lewis's character. Well, he and was going into communities like and you got your family. Yeah, your family is in my family. I'll benefit with my family, and you'll benefit from your family. It's a lot more uh, palatable than coming in as a bachelor who might be trying to screw you over. Yeah, you know, this is my son, and yeah. I'm trying we'll to take care of him. And, and remember that big yep. speech he gives? Great, was a great speech. speech. Man. It's like, oh, you'll have bread every day. You'll be sick of bread. You know, you'll yeah. education and we'll have access Who, to medicine. In, you know, and it's and like, how would you not want to uplift your community just by letting one dude stick a stick an oil derrick in the ground and yeah. take oil out? It's not doing you any good anyways. I mean, until that second accident, you don't really get to see the really kind of viciousness, assholeness yeah. mm-hmm. of... Because even after the initial, his son got injured during a uh, the barracks blew with oil everywhere. Yeah. Incredible scene, incredible his, soundtrack. Lost his hearing. He lost his hearing, and he kept up with him for a little bit. You mm-hmm. know, he was like hugging him and trying to uh, trying to get him to hear things and this and that. But after a while, it he frustrated was like, him, and he almost like he was dead to him. Yeah, he was like, oh, he's gone. He's, yeah, and, and it was prop, sad to watch. My prop that he is just, no longer useful. You're, you're watching the movie, and you just want him to hug that kid and just kind of be like, all right, we we'll just teach you a new way. You know, you. It, 
it's not an end game, you know. He didn't have time. Him. He's an oil man. Yeah, he, he didn't have time for him at that point. It yeah. was it was kind of shitty he to watch. The, I got to point out, this isn't part of the the storyline, but the music for this movie, oh, man. when it did exist, made. You, I have the soundtrack for this. It's, it's not great. enjoyable to sit down and listen to. Yeah, it's like it's like ravenous. It's grating. It keeps you, but it keeps you on the edge of yeah. your seat. Like when they when they, him, so this guy shows up to his camp. Kevin J. O'Connor. Yeah. So this is before Paul Dano, right? Yeah. No, after Paul Dano. He had already been dealing with Paul Dano. When okay, so why don't we talk about Paul Dano? Yeah, then. talk about Paul Dano. He w- so Paul Dano, and, and this has always confused me about this movie. The guy that came and visited him, was it was his, his twin brother? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or was it him? That was always the... They never that's, said it. That's what confused me when I saw it that night and I was half asleep. I was like, was that him? Was it? And they were like, we didn't get that out of there. I said, well, I'm really tired, so it probably is not the case. And I, I think it was just his twin brother. But they don't... He might say it, but they, you have no proof of it. It's true. Even when he went and visited him, they, it's true. they, they didn't talk about PT him having a kind twin of brother thing or to put in there. anything. And uh, so... This character, Paul Dano's twin brother, played by Paul Dano, yeah. <laughs> shows up and says, I know where there's a lot of oil. How much money would that be worth? Yeah. And they're like, well, here's 400 now or something. And if we go there and there's oil, then we'll give you another 4,000 or yeah, something. Yeah. So when he shows up, I think that he realizes there is oil, but he has to deal with the local preacher. Who is the twin. Who is the twin brother. Paul Dano, yeah. And it's just the depths that... That uh, Day Lewis's character would the back and forth with those two yeah. guys. They just hated each other. They hated well, each other. Well, they wanted so to humiliate much. each other. Yeah, it was really one was driven to the word of God, and the other one was driven towards money, which is the two polar opposites of, of each other. But, was, but it even went beyond that because they both had a slight touch of mental illness in their head, really, and not strong like they weren't schizophrenic or anything. But he was a v- very narcissistic, and Paul Dano was very like you are going to pay for your sins type of guy. Yeah, and I'm dealing. Very- with a major sinner here. He didn't realize how much of a sinner he was until... He should have. He, he didn't realize it until like decades later yeah. <laughs> or like 10 years later when he was on the uh, the bowling alley there <laughs> it, that he realized, wow, you are a horrible, horrible like uh, person, but it took him a while. <laughs> it, it, it's a crazy movie, man, and it's a, it's a long movie. I mean, I, I... My favorite part of the whole movie is, is Daniel Day-Lewis... Obviously, the speech he does about the milkshake, but the little dance he does when he goes over to him to yeah, show, yeah, yeah. like when he was doing uh, the straw. It's it's one of the most rewarding uh, endings, just because you you grew to really hate Paul Dano when you were following Daniel Day Lewis. You, yeah, you you even when Daniel Day Lewis was being bad, you were trying to make excuses for him because I don't you know liked if he was so just much. being bad or if he was just being him. He was. It was doing- basically what he was doing to his son, which was shitty. Yeah. Even later in life, when he was when he was his son was there working with him, trying to work out, and his his. But dad I, what just, what I think they did is they. I think they where he comes out. He's like, I found you in a basket, man. You're not even my son. Yeah, you know, he yeah. he just hated him that much, or just wanted him to leave. That he was willing to kind of burn him that bad, hoping that would get him out of there. But yeah. it was a very in depth, in depth movie, and you get more and more watching it every time you watch it. So it's it's definitely on my top uh, fifty. Probably there will be blood. All right, so we're going to go to 2004. Another Charlie Kaufman genius idea. You just explain this in a log line to someone. They're like, oh, shit, we got we to gotta read this. We got to see what this is all about. And that's The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Man, 
There's such a great, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Uh, um, the first thing I ever saw Mark Ruffalo in. And the Titanic. For, yeah, first. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, yeah. Uh, so you got Jim Carrey. Now you got me forgetting her name. <laughs> the Titanic girl. W- w- uh, uh, Kate Winslet. Winslet. Kate Winslet. But even better, you got Tom Wilkinson, one of the first movies I'd seen him in. Yeah. Uh, no, I'd already seen him in Rush Hour. But. Uh, Tom Wilkinson, definitely the first thing I ever saw Mark Ruffalo in. I remember looking him up when I got home, and I was like, who the hell is that guy in the dorky glasses? It was Mark Ruffalo. And uh, Elijah Wood and Kirsten Dunst were basically the, the the core cast of this movie. And it was all about— This one I don't remember as much. I remember the scenes, especially them towards the end, run, trying to run away from the big light that was coming. Yeah. Well, this was great. I, I just recently rewatched it because I hadn't seen it in a while, and it was it's just an amazing movie. It reminds me, and I don't know if you ever saw— It'll be on our part two. Is uh, Cold Souls with Paul Giamatti when he when he, he had to try he gave yeah, his soul up yeah when he removed his soul and then he wanted it back and they had already and they like, already sold, sold it to somebody, it to somebody in somebody Russia else. so he yeah. had to go to Russia to find his soul and he played Paul Giamatti in it I want to say I saw half of it so good man it's so funny but it was one of those clever ideas I love these ideas of a a futuristic like total recall you know a futuristic company that can give you something that previously you wasn't know, available I, I went to a tiny little film festival in Provincetown. Mm-hmm. And I saw that movie with the people that had the the watch when it in told time? them when no they told them when they'd fall in love. Oh, I don't know if I've seen that. And it, they had like this device, and this whole universe was created. Shit, I don't think I've ever know. seen that. It it was it was a very clever movie. I can't remember. I saw it with the cast. Yeah, I mean. I felt that way about that in time. Did you see that with With Justin Timberlake? It was good, but it it didn't go. They were gambling their minutes away, like at the beginning of the movie. Oh, man, there were some good parts to it, but overall, it it wasn't satisfying at the end. I think they lost it in the third act or something, but the first act was strong. You're like, oh, man, this is cool as hell. And that guy left him all his fucking time and shit. It was good Uh, until it wasn't. (laughs) But Eternal (laughs) Sunshine. So you've got this company that is able to selectively remove memories from your brain. So if you lost a, and, and like they have this moment in like the waiting room uh, where every, when you're supposed to bring in, you, you go around your house and you pick everything that reminds you of this person. Like a dead pet. Or a dead pet. And you bring it into the office and they you, you explain to him what each item is and then they go into your brain and they remove all these memories so you don't have to uh, suffer the loss of your golden retriever or your ex-girlfriend, which is, I think, primarily what it was. But there was also like dead sons. You know, they had the guy that was sitting there and they didn't have to even tell you what these other people were there for. You could tell by the box. You know, they had the woman that had like the dog bowl and the, uh, and the collar, but the guy next to her had like a football and a little trophy. And you're like, ah, oh, he's just trying to forget his dead son, man. But then you don't realize that at the beginning, you're like, hey, that's kind of genius. And then you realize that they're going to lose all the good memories that they had with these people and the things that changed them and everything. And it was very difficult. And that was what was clever about it because Jim Carrey had a horrible breakup with Kate Winslet and he and he finds out she did it to him you know and it had to remember David Cross had to tell him uh, uh, what had happened he was over the house well, he, and everything he her. and she all the him. friends got like a card in the mail that says uh, so and so has chosen to forget Joel someone please don't mention her name in front of him anymore and the, uh, David Cross says no I'm not going to do this he needs to know he's that like, would she be went the, to that, the wouldn't service. that be the wouldn't that be the difficult part of that it would be plan? to get the friends to kind of how would you even know who their friends are maybe yeah so I mean when you're going in you'd have to tell them because you're willing when you're when you're signing the contract of to be able to do this yeah. thing 
But okay. you talk about things to people you might forget you talked to. Yeah, a lot. I mean, there's, there's a lot of holes. There's a lot of holes. <laughs> I'm gonna poke some holes in this <laughs> for theater. sure. But the movie was. But good. David Cross went and gave him the card for the business, so he showed up at the business and he was like, "Fuck it, if she did it, I'm going to do it." And and there's some complex stuff within this. I'll, I'll talk about too, but. The idea that he was like, yes, I want to get rid of all the memories of her. And he brings in all the stuff and the pictures and everything. And halfway, and they show the techs and the the tech people at the house. They show up. They give him something to drink and he passes out. So they go into his house and they hook him up to these machines and they can tell through the computers what are memories of her and what aren't. And we're seeing him relive these memories and then we see them dissipate in a clever way either they're under the covers together and she gets sucked away and that memory is gone and as he's doing it he's realizing holy shit these were actually some really good memories i had of her i don't want to lose them so he starts fighting it so he ends up he, he ends up telling away from he the, ends up telling her process. about it he ends up telling her about it in the yeah, memories mm-hmm. and they said well let's hide in your subconscious take me to a place where they would never feel or that you never told anyone about and so that you're going into the moments where he's being chastised for his parents or where he's <laughs> get caught masturbating or something that's where they're <laughs> yeah. hiding yeah. but during this whole thing there's some there's some subplots that are going on that are just crazy if the movie wasn't crazy enough these subplots were crazy and uh, one was Elijah Wood has uh started dating Kate Winslet and using the memories that they stole That's they right. took from Jim Carrey to get her. Yeah. And like and he's doing it word for word and he's rushing it and it's not as clever and as natural as when Jim Carrey did it. So it was just sad to watch. <laughs> and it was very creepy when you were watching him do it. And then there's another big and this is a spoiler alert too it's a big moment where Kirsten Dunst is like obsessed with uh, or just enamored with Tom Wilkinson. He started this business. Oh, he's going to come. Howard's coming down and he's going to do this. I can't wait. I want to sit here and watch. Like, what's this weird obsession she had with him and everything? And then uh, she kisses him at some point and he and the wife is outside and catches him and everything. And the wife looks at her and, and, and says, he never told you, did he? And then she pulls off and holy shit. Kirsten Dunst had Tom Wilk had a had a relationship with with uh, with him and had it removed, and then she starts relapsing into it and starting it again. So it was like this clever thing that like no one knew who had their memory erased before, you know. So it's really a wild, wild scenario of a movie, man. Charlie Kaufman, man. Part two could easily be adaptation because adaptation was one of those scripts that was just ingenious. I, I mean, ha- I don't have any memories I'd want to erase. No, 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 no. Been no. bad ones. There's been some bad ones, but or not even the bad not, ones. Even the bad like, ones aren't that bad. Aren't that bad. No, they probably helped me grow as a person. No, and I realized that watching, listening to that like Honeydew podcast, I'm like, man, these but guys. But someone to- locked me in a sex dungeon when I was six for yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> for yeah. six months. Well, well that's that. what we're thankful. <laughs> I'd for. want that memory gone because there were like moments that we were probably there were moments up north and we were probably three seconds away Free from being snatched. kidnapped yeah. or something like that. We had a little too much freedom for, I never, and this is completely off. I saw somebody like six or seven riding their bike through a neighborhood mm-hmm. up at Turkey Creek, perfectly safe neighborhood. And almost was like panicking about it. Cause you never see yeah. someone that young by themselves again. Yeah. Ever. It's like that. And anytime I see it in the movie, like a kidnapping or everything, I'm like, Oh God, but it's we just, did it's, that. It's far too easy. It seems we were walking to school and we were in like the, how old are you in this first grade? Yeah, whatever first grade was. But we could, if you went to the end of the street and you kind of positioned your eyes down just but right, you might no, be able to we see the gone, We, I so, know, yeah. I know for it's sure. It's like sharks. You can get killed in the first two feet of water. You know, <laughs> you can get snatched right in front of your house. I mean, if I was going to snatch a kid to school zones, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
probably a high traffic. Area. I know you would think they're everywhere. <laughs> Anyways, oh <laughs> uh, yeah, Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind, man. It's 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 an ingenious idea, and it also is one of those movies and screenplays that you always want to pose the question to yourself or others. You know, would you do this? Would could you be able to uh, to make that happen? Did you have a relationship was that bad that you'd want to that even the good parts weren't weren't good to think about? Because I. I I've had some relationships where I uh, broke up with people, but man, there was some good times there until they got bad. But <laughs> all right, next one. This was a movie that everyone had to see in the theater, man. This was like super word of mouth popular. There were two movies that came out. I think I think one came out one week and one came out the very next, and that's two thousand. The one we're talking about here is nineteen ninety nine's The Sixth Sense. So either right before it or right after it. Um, Blair Witch Project came out. Okay. And those were the two movies. People were like, have you seen Blair Witch Project? And have you seen Sixth Sense? Because yep. those are the two movies you have two to see in the theater. Two different spectrums of budget. Both terror. horror movies. But yeah, definitely one had a little bit more <laughs> One had Bruce involved. Willis. And arguably the one that had the lower budget, people were even more excited about. They were like, they were well, like look what they were able to do. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the bar from here... To here is not bad, but the bar from here, no. and you can't see what I'm doing at home, but it's a big way. Anytime so that someone can pull out an indie movie like uh, like Clerks or... And make $50 million yeah, off of Yeah, make that crazy of amount of money off of it, Reservoir Dogs or any of those movies where it just you just got a good script and you got Blair Witch was like six uh, $600,000, I think. Yeah, it was it and, was low, but they had a clever marketing campaign of keeping the I, th- I think hidden. they sold it for just a few million dollars. Yeah. And then whoever bought they had, it, they had something. Made, did they, they have had a back like end a, deal? They had a back end okay. deal. Like anything over ten, they would get something more or something. Okay, like that. so they that were smart sense. enough to be able to do that. Yeah, uh, because no one expected it was going to do that well. Get a and lawyer. Six cents too. No one had heard about M Night Shyamalan. I mean, this was his first movie that had ever come out. I think he had done a whole bunch of shorts here and there. So if you were in like maybe UCLA or sort of that over that thing. dude. To be honest with you, but I, he still has a possibility of coming back he, and doing. He some did do stuff. some. Split was great. Yeah, I loved Split. It I mean, was, he does it was glass that I hated. I thought glass was horrible, man. It should have stopped at split. And the, the and one with the speed was the one with the pool. He had, oh, the unbreakable, unbreakable. No, was great. The, in the pool, pool. There was like a monster in the pool. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I'm not sure I ever saw that. It's like yeah. the happening. I never saw the happening either. Yeah. Uh, he had a whole bunch of them that they, he definitely had more that weren't as good that more that that were but the ones that were good was really good mm-hmm. like the village for me at least i like the village for me i love the village i love unbreakable i like split and i like six cents and signs, signs, was, signs was okay except when it had that final moment where the yeah swing the, away moral yeah right. it was like oh god okay <laughs> you yeah. can, sometimes you can go one line too far <laughs> yeah i don't think i own signs but i own the other four on there and you know, i love split but yeah, Glass was horrible, man. But it's like, what, what do you expect? His stuff, some some directors just hit and miss. And when you try those outrageous ideas, they're either going to hit or they're going to miss. Yeah. He got really lucky well, with this one. This one up and... So this one, once again, got great actors. Uh, the the that real kid, star, obviously. Joel. Uh, Haley Joel Osmont uh, was amazing in this, and he's gone on to do a lot of great stuff after this, too. And Tony His Collette, best stuff is Drunk History, by the way. <laughs> yeah, he was good in Drunk History. I liked he's, him in, d- he's done like three or four. I liked him in Tusk, too. He was great in Tusk. Uh, 
Tony Collette had not hit really big. She had done Muriel's Wedding, and that might have been the only other thing. People didn't even recognize her when she did Sixth Sense. She was like, oh, who's this pretty redhead who plays the mom? And uh, then after that, she just went on to be huge. And Bruce Willis, obviously, was the big get for this movie. He got Bruce Willis. Uh, the woman who played his wife was the woman from Rushmore. Yep. Uh, I'm not sure she had done some other stuff, too. But this movie early on, it was great because it was one of those pull the rug out from you from you endings. Then that was the thing that the movie itself will never great. be as the same the second after the first no, time. But that's it, one of those. It will movies. be as enjoyable. It'll be as enjoyable because you can for watch different it. reasons. Yeah, but it'll never be the same movie. That's after the problem you the first with time. those movies. Uh, the second time is almost as enjoyable though because I, I, because I agree. when you're watching you're the like, second oh, time, you're like, oh, I get here, it. There this are clues. Well, you see a ton of different. You see like things the wife was doing it, and think about them this was one of those endings particularly some of them you were like well i never would have been able to see that they coming. didn't really hide it all that much nope. no <laughs> really it really they really didn't when you watch it you think i should have fucking known yeah and everyone had their their same moment kind of it was all in that scene <laughs> when especially did you know? because you knew he got shot yeah and you didn't know what happened you just assumed he recovered when yeah. you saw him. So spoiler, X many spoiler, years later. spoiler alert! Well, this whole we've already it, it, warned. Yeah, we've already warned. So Haley Joel is meant can see can see dead people, you know, and that's the idea of the whole thing. And and this is not a new concept. We've seen movies where people have seen dead people before and everything like that. And you you think that he has got? And we actually see Bruce Willis die at the beginning of the movie. We don't realize we see it. You, you know, see him die. In. We we see Donnie Wahlberg pop out. To a point where we never saw what Donnie Wahlberg well, before. Well, I didn't even recognize it was Donnie Wahlberg until like. And neither did M Night. There was a uh, there's a story about M Night didn't know he was going to lose the weight. He just hired him. You know, he hired him for what he looked like in the ransom. You know, and then <laughs> pudgy brother. Yep, yeah, the pudgy brother from uh, from the Wahlbergs. You know, and then when he showed up on the set, he had no idea he, was he had lost all. He that was the weight. Backstreet Boy dude. Uh, no, the uh, New Kids on the Block. New Kids on the yeah. Block. Uh, the OG. <laughs> so I guess M. Knight didn't know he was going to lose all the weight. He lost like 75 pounds, and I don't know if it was his idea to wear the tidy whiteies. The dirty so, tidy whiteies. I don't think anyone knew it was him when we watched the movie initially. Yeah. It's not until you went home and you checked IMDb or you heard an interview and you're like, holy shit, did you know that was uh, Donnie Wahlberg? And we all had to see it again just to see that. And so we saw him. He Bruce Willis was a psychiatrist that couldn't help Donnie, and uh, Donnie ended up shooting him, uh, shooting Bruce Willis. We just assumed because we saw Bruce Willis in the next scene that Bruce Willis recovered. And why wouldn't you? You yeah. would, you would automatically yeah. think that he was missing his wife. Yep, he was missing his wife. His wife was uh, the, their marriage was kind of on the rocks. They weren't talking together. We realized that later on why they weren't talking together. Yeah. <laughs> And then he ends up meeting Haley Joe Osmond, who has uh, opened up about the fact that he sees dead people. And then we see him in scenes like Haley Joe will see like, uh, well, and, and then there were some, that some was subplot the, moments. Subplot with him helping the girl that his mom was poisoning yeah, her. Yeah, that was a was great, powerful, great subplot. Powerful subplot. Yeah. And then you realized, uh, and that's what Bruce was helping him with. And it was a perfect scenario of psychiatrist with kid because they were alone together all the time. But he was a ghost psychiatrist. And... <laughs> When you watch it the second time and you looked at, you just watch Haley Joe watching Bruce Willis. And you're thinking, well, he's just shy and he's afraid to talk to Bruce Willis about what he knows. And the real idea is Haley Joel knows this guy's a fucking ghost and he knows he's talking to him and everything and just maybe. He could have told him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> I guess he, oh. he could have told him. Hey, man, you're dead. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Movie's over. <laughs> so it, it, it's really good when you're watching all the scenes the, uh, with him in it. Like the oh, scene the- where he comes home and, and Haley Joel or, or Bruce Willis is sitting in the room with Tony Collette. And they're just like, you think they stopped talking because Haley walked into the house. And then hey, he has that whole moment where he talks uh, talks with Haley, and you, we just didn't think anything of it. And the reveal itself, because it's tough, it's a tough script, anyways. But then it's a tough script when you have a reveal like that that you have to do something that makes the audience know, oh shit, this is this is what's going. You have on. to. You don't want to lose. You have your... to have those moments where people can at least go back and say, "This is when I should have realized." Yeah. And this happened. So that moment was obviously with the ring at the end, mm-hmm. and the the ring dropped out of the wife's hand when she was sitting on the uh, in the like ottoman, like the ottoman there. And then you automatically, it's all flooded back to you, like holy shit, Bruce Willis is dead, man, and he's been dead this whole fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. we just got had, man. That other subplot when Haley Joe Osment told his mother, remember yeah. they were waiting because there was an accident ahead, yep. and she's like, I hope nobody. Got hurt. And yeah, it was like it was someone died. And he's like, what are you talking about? It's like someone up there died. And why? How do you know? Because I can see She's her. standing right next the, to you. Yeah. And the mother freaks the fuck out. Tony Collette can get to like next level yeah. emotions. If you if you want to see her do the like the triumphant level of that, you watch Hereditary. Because Hereditary, it's just emotion after emotion. She should have been nominated for Hereditary. And she's been nominated for several movies. And I, I'm not sure she's ever won or not. But uh that was a movie where she went next level good. But she definitely came on the radar. Everyone came on the radar for Sixth Sense, especially M. Night. People were all for Unbreakable. And most people loved Unbreakable. A lot of people were taken off by the comic book element of it and everything, mm. but whatever. It was still fun, man. That was a good fucking movie, man. Yeah, it was a good movie. And I, I, it could have went another half hour. I... Because when it really got good on Unbreakable is when he's like standing in the fucking thing and he's letting everyone touch him and he's realizing what yeah. they have. Like, oh my God. What was the scene... When his son finds his gun. Oh God, man! That kid, that kid was a, a good crazy, actor too, man. Just a crazy. He was in uh, Titus at mm-hmm. the same time. Uh, all right, six cents. So let's go to the next one. This one was a clever movie that ended up having came out of it, and this will be on. Our, I told Justin we need to do a pod where they those pairs of movies come out at the same time, like Dante's Peak and Volcano, Armageddon and Deep Impact. This was one of them. This was the Truman Show, and remember, Ed TV came out at the same time. I don't remember with, Ed Ma- TV, with Matthew no. McConaughey, and it was very similar. It was a reality. This was like pre-reality shows when this '95 was early on. Man, I mean, that was TV. Real rules. world was going on, real maybe. And, the, uh, yeah, the MTV. Yeah, the real world and the road rules might have been about the only two that was happening. But they were like, "Hey, let's do a movie about." Uh, and this was even well. The difference with Ed TV is, I think they he knew it was a show. Uh, this was like a hidden thing where uh, Jim Carrey did not know. This was the other movie that I wasn't familiar with. The uh, the writer Andrew Nichol uh, wrote the Truman Show. Jim Carrey's character must have never wanted to travel. So good, man. <laughs> the, the idea that they didn't hide it from the audience. They told you right from the get-go. All right, this is a this is a mm-hmm. reality show, and it's in like the the second the biggest structure after the Great Wall of China. Remember, they they pull out and they show the dome yeah. that the Truman Show is filmed in. Like it has its own we've got fifteen thousand own... actors in there, and they all know that this show is all about this one guy that was that that gave birth first like birth on television was for Truman and we followed this guy and everyone worked their life around him you know people fell asleep to watching Truman sleep or to do everything and the, the whole show is like a secret the only person who doesn't know about it is Jim Carrey who they should 
shows it up. some residual checks is what I'm thinking. Well, it was great <laughs> that they and they I love when they show. Well, there has been accidents through the years, and you and you saw the person no, parachuting in. The light fall from the that light. From well, the, that the, that was before that. That that was him finding out. Uh, that was just a plain accident. Yeah. And remember, they always tried to describe or make an excuse for it where he would hear it. So he was listening to the news, and he was like, apparently, uh, structures from the uh, the space station fell out this morning, uh, and that's how they forgave that. Or <laughs> yeah. they would bring Merle in. Remember the uh, Noah Emmerich? Yeah. Uh, they would bring him in, and uh, as the best friend with the six-pack of beer yeah, to yeah. make things right mm-hmm. anytime something went bad. He well, had, when they were actually talking the about role it. role in the whole movie. Uh, he was great, man. He came on the uh, scene. He's got a famous brother, the, uh, the Emmerich. The other Emmerich, who did uh, the Day After Tomorrow and a lot of okay. those disaster movies, was his brother, and I loved him in uh, Frequency. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the 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 one redheaded brother talking to his yes. dead father in the future. Well, no, the friend that was Jim Caviezel. Okay, yeah, his friend, his yeah. friend, the redheaded guy. That's another script. Yep, great script, man. That might be on part two. Man, that'll be a fun part two. So. What was great about Truman Show, yeah, is those types of things. Laura Linney, I loved Laura Linney in this. This was before she she had already done uh, Primal Fear, so we, I think that was one of the few things people had known her from. She was the uh, uh, the prosecutor that uh, Ed Norton had like destroyed on the stand, <laughs> and uh, she was great in that. But yeah, with Truman Show, she was great. I loved her rewatching this. It was so fun. I forgot about the stuff where she's doing like the live ads. Like, like right in front of Truman. Hey, Truman, I bought Mr. Bubbles. Mr. Bubbles lasts a long time in the bathtub when you when you need to get clean. And he didn't really realize <laughs> it until, until he still, because it was weird that it went so far before him actually starting to put things together. Because not until his, like, 30s, when he was, like, 35 or something like that, did he start realizing what was going on. Because they had to create scenarios to keep him from leaving town. Remember they killed his dad? They, like, killed his dad in a boating accident so he would never go on a boat again. Yeah, because they were worried that he was going to go on a boat again, and he yeah. was going to find out that this what world ends wasn't the wall. It ends at the wall. wall. Yeah, <laughs> this is the flat earther's dream. It's just like Truman. <laughs> <laughs> so they they killed his dad, which is basically just writing that uh, character that off character show. off, and they end up bringing him back in. It was like a soap opera because when soap operas got like desperate, they would bring characters mm-hmm. back or they would kill Damn somebody easy. off and. Uh, then the the relationship, and I loved her in this man. I've always had a crush on this girl, Natasha McCone, uh, the girl from Ronan. Okay. Uh, the big eyes, and she's uh, she was in Devil's Own. She's uh, yeah, I Irish. Really like her. Oh, I always loved her. She just it's those big eyes, man. That uh, when she uh, smiles, it just looks like bang them. And I loved her in Ronan. She was so great as the handler in Ronan. Mm-hmm. But uh, she played the the kind of the love interest that was always designed for Laura Linney, you know? And even remember at that dance where they kept pushing Laura Linney in, they were like, no, this is who we want you to marry and have kids with and, and do this and not experience these real feelings or actually be who you want to be with. And, and because of them, like repressing that he was constantly remember he was like making collages of natasha mccone and his desk <laughs> and he was uh spent so long they shuffled her off movie. remember what year this come out? Uh, 98 98 yeah there was a moment where she got him on the beach and was gonna and they like and she's like we're being watched and she's kind of at any moment she could have just blurted out truman you're on she's a show under contract yeah well and 
So if you were in there, you were on part of the crew, right? Yeah, you were part of the crew. You were like part of the lie. Everybody in this universe is in there. And a lot of people the lie didn't sit well with, and Lakasha McComb was one of the main ones. Yeah. Well, she had the moment when she got to the beach, and she was going to blurt well, everything. How would you feel watching this poor bastard? No, think, and that's what it was, was life, man. I mean. And then there was a movement outside, save Truman, you know, uh, and this is wrong that they are doing this. And it is. It's true. It's wrong. And remember when, when right I before watched, Natasha yes. McCone <laughs> was wrong? Yes. <laughs> right before Natasha McCone was going to reveal everything, they shuffled in an actor to play her dad. She's real sick. She's I'm sorry. She does this all the time. She takes all her boyfriends here and everything. And we're going to uh, Cancun or something like that. Then he got obsessed with Cancun. I got to go. I don't think it was Cancun. It was something like that. Paris or something. And he got obsessed with that. And he wanted to go out. And then the the travel agent had to keep making excuses. Oh, there's uh, tr- there's tornadoes there we can't go or this and that and we haven't even talked the ed harris and like paul giamatti paul giamatti was not big at this point too uh i think the only thing i had seen giamatti and up to this point was uh he was in private parts we everyone knew him as pig vomit still and then he had done the uh donnie brasco that little scene in donnie yeah. brasco and then he had done truman show and then after this the movie kind of ramped uh movie business kind of ramped up for him after he did sideways people went crazy over paul giamatti even though Sideways was my like least favorite Giamatti yeah. movie. Yeah, he's all right. Uh, I mean, he's great in everything, but that movie was all right. But uh, it, it was fabulous to see that end of it, too. Ed Harris playing the Kristoff character as I've created this world for him and uh, I've given him a, a point to live. It's it's like the argument of people keeping animals in the zoo, you know? <laughs> oh, this is a much better life for them. I can control it. Nothing horrible is going to happen to them and everything. Yeah, but you're taking free will from them. <laughs> Especially when you look at the stuff like, he, he would have been with that Natasha McCone. I, t- I take free girl. will from my cats. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, well, we all do, but that's what's sad about this when you're watching this movie is he would have been with that woman mm. and she would have wanted to be with him and they could have lived a life and had kids and done this. He didn't want to be with Laura Lenny. I mean, they forced that shit to be on him. She was nice enough to him and everything. But I remember, remember when he's starting to figure it out and he's sitting in the car and he gets her in the car and he's looking in the rearview mirror and he's look, he's like, this, you're about to see somebody in the rearview mirror that you'll see a jogger. Then you'll see a car go by. Then you'll hear two horns. And then it happens. And he says, it's on a loop. Keeps happening over and over and over again. It's happened like nine times. And he's like, he's like, wait for it. And it happens again. And then he's like super excited about it. And he's he's like, I don't know what the hell's going on. And she suddenly doesn't add. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? And he literally has to get on a boat and drive or uh, sail all the way to the end to be able to believe for himself what he already knows. Crazy. I would have loved to have seen a sequel of it, of him like getting out. It would have been like And it was probably one of the few movies during that time period for him where he had to dial it really back. Yeah. Uh, Man on the Moon and this one were the two movies where well, Man on the Moon, started. he had to become somebody else. So yeah. that's not even as hard as him yeah. being Jim Carrey, but not... Because you know Jim Carrey oh, is yeah. the guy that contorts his body, outrageous oh, yeah. facial talk, movements, talk talks, butt, you know, crazy... I mean, just even... you. And a lot of those those like outrageous comedians can play super dramatic, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at like uh, what Robin Williams was able to accomplish and Jim Carrey. Those are probably the two best examples mm-hmm. of like the because Adam they're Sam- ridiculous. Adam Sandler. Yeah, Adam Sandler. That's another one that like completely I mean, that, ridiculous that comedians could be on this latest one the one with him, oh shit or we Jew, could do like the, uh comedians who became serious actors uh, and and then do pairs you know you show it billy madison and uncut gems you know <laughs> i mean the two <laughs> polar opposites i mean you think with robin williams you, you, you what is robin's probably most goofy movie uh 
back in the day. Oh, man. I, see, I was going to say Mork, but Mork was a TV show. That was probably the Death most goofy things. <laughs> Death is <Smoochie. laughs> I mean, there was some dark kind of stuff in that one. We'd have to go even more. Uh, Ram- Randall, Rainbow Randall. Ran- <laughs> When he talks when he when he takes him to the Nazi rally. <laughs> Such a crazy. All right, so let's go. And this was one of my favorite movies, and I watched this over and over again. And I can still watch this at any time. And it's got its dark moments. It's got its great moments. It's just an overall amazing script. Another one by the great uh, P.T. Anderson. And this was, I like I said, I had already been in with him with Heart 8. And then right when this movie, Boogie Nights, came out, I was in. I saw it at the theater, and I was like, holy shit. I felt the same way that I felt when I saw Pulp Fiction, when I saw Boogie Nights. I said, this is just an epic rise in crash not even a fall it's like a rise crash and then like a rebuilding of oneself i mean it's basically the john holmes story told took to a next level and took liberty and took a lot of a lot of liberty but that was kind of the the initial i mean wonderland is really the is the real story but yeah wonderland if you really want to watch the real but there are some elements if you watch wonderland you're like wow this is kind of a a lot like boogie nights yeah well there's some moments from it there's a reason for that Dirk Diggler. Dirk Diggler. Came to me in big neon <laughs> lights. <laughs> Make this something in those pants. He's ready to be busted out. Now, uh, here's the thing. Were you telling me that Burt Reynolds, that this is kind of was his oh, resurgence, yeah. Yeah. but he he didn't, he wasn't happy with he hated it. He hated it. Fired his agent after it. Fired his agent after it. And then, uh, and then, then he won the Golden Globe. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that, is that the first time that it's ever happened where an agent got fired Maybe. for a role that he cast an actor in and the actor would go on to win a Golden Globe? Yeah. It, it revitalized his career. It's like, it's like, John he, now here's what I want to know. Did he go back to that guy and hire his ass back? Well, that I don't know. But it, I mean, it should have. It's like John Travolta getting pissed at Quentin Tarantino yeah. for Pulp Fiction. I said, no, this guy gave you a second career yeah. when your career was kind of ending. It was over. And I'm not sure if he was his first choice or not, but this was some amazing cast in this movie. Amazing. So you got, and a lot of these people were not huge at the time. John C. Riley was not huge. No. He, he, John C. Riley was a P.T. Anderson guy from the start because mm-hmm. he was the star of Hard yeah. Eight. So he knew him early on. And, um, so you've got John C. Riley, you've got Julian Moore, Heather Graham, Mark Wahlberg, Don guy. Cheadle. Uh, what's the guy from Shameless? Uh, William H. Macy. Who uh, had one of the craziest scenes. Oh, man. His, all his scenes were crazy in this movie. The so, whole movie was So it was basically a, about the uh, uh, a kid from like Reseda or something who just becomes a major porn star and the money and the fame gets to his head. And the drugs. And then he gets into drugs and crime and then it all falls, crashes down, and then he slowly brings his career back up at the very end. But there's good chunks of it and it's told within like two decades. You know, it shows this, the 70s. Or it was when right it was great. from sort of the the... Last throws of film porn, yeah, with theaters, yeah, like, before with, they became VHS, before the VHS hit the scene, and yeah. then VHS, it's like people want to stay home and watch this stuff. Yeah. They didn't want to go to a dirty, nasty yeah. theater, no, but they couldn't convince Burt uh, Reynolds' character, Philip Baker Hall, too. Philip Baker Hall was like he, the one who wanted still, to go VHS, yeah, but the other guy was who was the, also another actor that he used from the beginning, yeah, BTS. and it was it was very like he thought of it as as art, man. If you want to watch the best Philip Baker Hall, well, he's all his stuff with P.T. Anderson's great. Like if you watch him in Magnolia when he's revealing to his wife that he cheated on her uh, all that time, or and no, that he touched his daughter. Remember that was the thing with uh, 
in Magnolia. Remember, he touched Melora Walters, and the they mother don't. didn't know about it. And they had that, that uncomfortable scene where he had to tell her uh, that he did. Uh, but really him in Heart Eight was great because he played the Sydney character that was like grooming yeah. John C. Riley to be an awesome, or, or just to live the life of a grifter, kind of a grifter, but just play the play the game in Vegas and everything. And he was he had a smaller role in. Uh, in Boogie Nights, but he was just as impactful. He's me sons and me daughters. <laughs> when he was introducing, these are the future of the porn industry. And they were just like these nasty kids from, yeah. I don't know, some redneck kids. But it was, this basically was all the outrageous shit that was happening in all these people's lives. And it was like, it was very Quentin Tarantino-esque at the time. You were like, oh man, P.T. Anderson is the, is the next guy, man. He's doing these shocking scenes and everything. And it, it's hard to even pinpoint what's your favorite thing. For me, it is at least what's, this is definitely on my I top. I know my favorite. It's on my top 20. Yeah, the Alfred Molina stuff is probably my Motor favorite. The Tom, one of Thomas Jane's biggest things too, and no one had known who Thomas yep. Jane was, but when Thomas Jane was in that room with, and had changed his mind, it was definitely the best thing Mark Wahlberg. Next, no, Damn, there's either. so much, so many good things. I love Boogie Nights so yeah. much. This might be on my top ten, not my top twenty. If if you go through in your head and you just think of the different scenes that that go on and everything, and uh, and there was a moment. Similar to not as outrageous as Requiem, but at the end when every bad thing was happening to everyone. Roller Girl is getting assaulted in the limo. Uh, the, the Dirk is getting assaulted in the parking lot. Don Cheadle, lot. In, Don the, Cheadle in, the rest, in the grocery in the, store or, or convenience the store, wherever it was. Donut shop. It was donut shop. Yeah. Oh, that was a great scene, man. So great. That was an awesome scene. And uh, you're seeing Roller Girl and Julian Moore do so much coke and they're just losing their mind and they're talking about how she never had her mom and everything. Really, the the only person that didn't have anything really horrible happen to him was John C. Riley. Yeah. <laughs> John C. Riley kind of got out. You know, people think I look like Han Solo. Really? <laughs> <laughs> but when uh, they were when they were doing the music, yeah. it was just silly. Oh man, I, I, I should use that. Here, I'm going to pause right here and I'm going to play this clip for you. You want to take it from the top? Yeah, let's try it. Okay. He will rock you. He That was awesome. I don't know what it was yet. I have a great clip, and I'm not sure if I'm going to use it at the beginning. Uh, and it's of those guys doing that song. Uh, feel, 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 feel the heat. <laughs> it's, such, it's so funny to watch, man. I, I love this. If you haven't seen Boogie Nights, man, and you're a film the person. The soundtrack was great. Soundtrack had to be on two soundtracks. It was so great. I had both of them, man. It was so great, man. I mean, it was great, every man. song you'd want to hear. Oh, 
This is it. In the I, movie, I, every I mean, it went bad for everybody. Like yeah. the, the producer got and busted it's risque, for job Obviously, porn, it's like super the, risque and yeah, everything. Everybody and, had their clothes off. Yeah, you, you, there was uh, you got to see almost every every woman in it uh, was nude at some point, and even uh, well, Mark Wahlberg was wearing a prosthetic at the end. But haha, <laughs> 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 you were big enough to he's fill like, the role. I'd like to say I was, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Boogie Nights, so great, man. All right, next one. This is another movie that I saw the trailer for this, and the trailer was so good that I was like, "Can oh, you this play another clip right great. here?" <laughs> no, no, and then it was like, flip up, flip up, flip up for real. <laughs> flip for, you did even a better job. And this was 1998's The Usual Suspects. Now, this is also an asshole, a double asshole alert, because <laughs> you got Brian well, Singer, and Angie, Brian Singer, and fucking uh, Kevin Spacey yeah, were in this movie. Assholes. But this was such a great movie that I, and we're talking screenplays. This was Christopher uh, uh, Christopher McQuarrie, who uh, who's now famous for doing the last three or four Mission Impossible movies. And I think he wrote The Way of the Gun also. He had, oh, he had been putting out... The Way of the Gun's got to be on Yeah, he, he had been putting out some high-quality scripts, man. That's why it was the best thing that could ever have happened to the Mission Impossible franchise, that they got a mm-hmm. high-end screenwriter like Christopher McCourty because he was really good. And Usual Suspects was another one of those pull the rug out from under your feet. Another endings. one of those you can't watch the same after the first time. Nope, but it is... Second time, just as enjoyable. Just even more, info- so <laughs> yeah, even more so because you were you were like, oh, I get it now. And that was one of those done. It was done in such a clever way that there was. They gave some closure at the end because they had that guy realize it. Yeah, all that they did. They they did show some clips was Ch- like Ch- uh, Chaz Palmentary. Yeah, he was great in this man. Chaz Palmentary. Who who else we got? We got Stephen Baldwin, uh, Gabriel Byrne. Who was the other guys? Kevin Pollack. He and had the greatest uh, line. Del Toro. He had the greatest line in that. Oh, yeah. We put you in. We put we you, you in Queens. We find, put you in Queens at nine o'clock. Like, oh, oh, really? At the time of the murder. Yeah. Really? I, I live, live in Queens. Queens. Oh yeah, a team of monkeys <laughs> working around the clock on this one. <laughs> <laughs> he was so great in that role. There was a lot of the the documentary for this is uh, or the making of it was very interesting because Stephen Baldwin. Zed was in this too. Uh, yeah, Zed. Zed's dead, baby. Yeah, his two pigs. He played uh, two. He played Zed and he played Redfoot. Yep. Those were his two big roles. Uh, I'm sure he did other stuff too, but the Stephen Baldwin was extremely candid, and thankfully he was in the making of this, talking about how him and other actors literally went behind Benicio's back to go to Brian Singer and say, "Hey, is, is this what you're you're looking for? Because we can't understand a fucking word he's saying." And he says, "I don't want you to railroad your movie because of this." And it was weird because Benicio came in with this idea that I'm going to be this guy that you can barely understand, and that every time I say something, someone's going to ask say the word. I what? T- no. I had this moment in real life. Really? When we were filming the scene at the end of our last movie, mm-hmm. and we weren't going to show the videos on the screens. Yeah. Remember, we had planned to run the clips oh, yeah, of the yeah, videos yeah, yeah, on the screens, yeah, yeah. and Jessica pulled me aside. Yeah, yeah. And uh, was I'm like, sure that happens on movies all the time. Like, he, he's going to ruin your movie <laughs> to a. He's like, even if he had Peter Jackson's studios, yeah, yeah. She, he couldn't do what you're talking about him doing. Proud to say. That it worked out. It worked out and exactly our, our the way we planned we expected it. it to perfectly. It probably could have been the other way, but it, we were confident enough that this guy. And could we pull probably it off. paid a dollar an hour for oh, to what's God, his name man. to do he, that. He stuff. basically gave us those. Uh, well, you clues. know what he wanted? He wanted to push himself to develop. He probably sold that technology yeah, to somebody maybe he's else, huge man, because right he did know. a really good job. He was a wild man. To, <laughs> he was a little. Uh, 
he was on the spectrum for sure. Yeah, and, isn't everybody? Yeah, well, that's what you want. <laughs> you uh, you want that? Uh, you you want somebody? <laughs> he on makes the me feel normal. Yeah, <laughs> no, I just he put out hard quality shit, man. He was a smart guy. Oh yeah. So, yeah, this was all about. If you haven't seen the Usual Suspects, uh, starred tons of famous people, obviously. And uh, One of, it, some it, horrible thing happened on the docks, and they just pulled in the usual suspects yeah. of the people that were yeah. uh, always accused. And of it's this type I of love stuff. heist movies. Yeah. I love them planning the job. I love uh, the, the idea the of, a, of a, a dr- big unknown character like Kaiser Soze, yeah. who is like mm-hmm. the big boss. And yeah. he's I, like Mr. Big. Yeah, you, you never only see, you never see him. Yep, you only hear from his underling, who played brilliantly by or the guy uh, from Pete, who's the guy from Inspector uh, Gadget. Did you saw this? Yeah, Doctor Claw. Doctor Claw. So Pete Pogsworth, who was, uh, I mean, famous in Alien 3, and, oh, yeah. in The Name of the Father, he was yep. great in The Name of the Father, he played Kobayashi. The, the handler. The handler, basically, who dealt with all the jobs. And he basically took all these criminals and said, uh, my boss has something on all of you, so you're going to do this job for him. Yeah. And, Remember and he if threw you do the, the job, he you're going to get a buttload of money. What I love about that way that scene started Where he has the was, folders and all of them. No, no. Well, and maybe it, maybe this is a different scene. I'm confusing the two. But when he was riding in the elevator, and they shot Stephen oh, yeah, Baldwin, yeah, shot yeah. the two bodyguards, and they, he came down and he's like, he's like, I'm gonna shoot you right now. And he's like, I yeah. totally believe you. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah, <laughs> I believe your intentions, but yeah, it's gonna be far worse than what what, what yeah, he would happen to him if, if so. I go ahead, shoot away. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he was so good in that role, man. I love that they picked him for that. Uh, yeah, everything in this movie was great. I loved the uh, the scene with Paul Bartel in the. They picked Paul Bartel up at oh, the yeah. airport, who was yeah, the, diamond the diamond guy. guy. And he got right into the cop car. You know who you're fucking with. Yeah, we do now, asshole. And those two cops. <laughs> one of them was. Yep. Uh, yeah, one of them was the the big. Fat we've seen guy. him in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, they're both. All, all these actors who have been in other stuff, man. They're so good. And then obviously shit gets bad, and I love the. Uh, of that scene at the end of the dock because we see it at the beginning there's like a and then we go back to the ending type of thing and they did a good job with that with the reveal of who Kaiser Soze was and they showed the clips that we had oh shit we had seen that scene and now we're looking at it in different eyes almost like you would at a second viewing they showed they those did clips. the Tarantino moment when Kevin Pollock opened up the the case and it started glowing like oh yeah like the you didn't, case didn't in, even see what it was fiction yeah. you never even got to see what was in the case no. yeah it was really great that whole thing on the dock was awesome man yeah so if you haven't seen you but his suspects, kevin spacey's story about yeah. oh yeah he did a good job in that in movie the interview man. room he was that's what's horrible about him being trying to be a prick actor, because he's man. a great actor i, I went re- i rewatched um what, you know I how t- many consensual sexual experiences you could have had? I know. Kevin? I know. Well, that's the thing with Cosby, man. Come on, dude. What the fuck? That's what makes it even creepier because it's the, yeah. it's the, like, it's the fact that you don't want him to do that that turns him on. That's what's fucked up. Yeah. And I rewatched Superman Returns. I watched Superman Returns Cosby and fucking Kevin Spacey was like the best Lex Luthor there ever was. He was fucking amazing in it. I totally forgot how great he was in it. Do you ever like, watch these crazy ass up. videos he puts out every six months? He it's puts weird. out some crazy rants. As his character in House of Cards. Yeah. He does it in that southern kind of accent and everything. You're like, just stay the fuck away, dude. Just, just one of my favorite movies with him, and I know we don't need to talk about him much anymore. But that, um, I, I good hate, and evil. I don't want to avoid his movies yeah. because you got the other actors and the yeah, directors yeah. in there and everything. Good I don't. I wouldn't watch any of his new movies, but old movies, I, I'm fine. Good watch. and evil in the good. Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. 
awesome. Great movie. Great Clint Eastwood movie that people don't even realize it was Clint Eastwood in that movie, man. Uh, that's Like you said, Swimming with Sharks. The Ref. I, I mean, you could name... Uh, if, if he hadn't been that guy, we could have had an episode uh, dedicated to him. But fuck you, dude. Yeah, you missed out. <laughs> that was the biggest <laughs> failure of all. Was I know. Not being an episode on you can put a video out about us if you'd like. Yeah. All right. This last movie here. One of the best screen players, I would go as far to say the best screenwriter who's ever lived, in my opinion, is, Quint, is Quentin Tarantino. And you really could have put any of his scripts on here. I, obviously, I wouldn't have put Jackie Brown because it was based on uh, previous material. But I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood so fucking much, man. This is 2019. I could easily have put Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction is probably uh, it's my top five in my top five movies of all time. And it, it's a classic work of art. But man, what he was able to accomplish in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and how many nerves he hit in that movie yeah. <laughs> that is now suddenly just revitalized those nerves because he's been going on the he's been going on like Dak Shepard's podcast. He went on Rogan's podcast. He's doing his own now. I like how he sort of rewrote history on a yeah. bunch of stuff. Well that was what was great. I, his he's starting his own podcast and I will definitely be listening. I think he's doing it with Roger Avery. I think that, who's the guy from Killing Zoe. I think that uh, Bruce Lee's granddaughter's off the mark. With uh, a daughter, a daughter, daughter, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's satire. It's satire, man. And he's trying Let to build. Him. He's trying to build up a character. Not- and if you rewatch that scene. He knocks him down. Oh boy! Yeah, <laughs> big it's deal. Not like he beat his ass. He knocks him down. I mean, what are you mm. complaining about? I think he, she was more pissed that he came off a little arrogant. And it, are you to tell me to believe that there wasn't a moment in fucking his life that he wasn't arrogant? Because it was, it was well known that he did not like stuntmen. It makes sense he wouldn't like stuntmen. He was his own stuntman. Yeah, you, obviously you would have a problem. with But he was also stuntmen. brilliantly talented at what he did, yeah. and probably had disdain for people that. None of the Manson family seems to be coming out. No. <laughs> the family yeah. and relatives seem to be coming out being pissed about it. <laughs> uh, and yeah, this is a spoiler, obviously, uh, like the rest of these episodes. M- Mom loved this movie. Uh, she's watched I it took more it than me. Her. She's watched I took it her to see it, and, and I was hesitant about the last scene. I think I had... I think I had told her that, uh, and I, I didn't give anything away. I said that Quentin messed with the timeline. Uh, no, I meant more like... The two really gratuitous oh, yeah, scenes yeah. of well, violence. That's, she, she is a hidden horror. Junkie, no, dude. I get it. You could play. You could play a horror movie for her, and she'd be fine. With I get it. It, it just it, there's some people I would warn about. Yeah, that. it's not as bad as I I remembered it uh, when I rewatched it. I was like, all right, it's violent and everything. But once you've watched like the Bone Tomahawk like, and yeah, stuff, yeah, but nobody watches Bone Tomahawk. Yeah, I watched <laughs> it. It's, it's nothing is compared to any of these other things, and and people that are shocked it was very, by that. It was very. Um, to those people, cell ninety nine, right? And cell ninety nine. But to those people, I say, did did you see Reservoir Dogs? He yeah, cut that guy's fucking ear off, yeah. man. And he this sung is, to it. This is completely on brand for Quentin yeah. Tarantino to and have. And he was doing it to the Manson family. Uh, watch Inglorious Bastards. Watch that scene where he rips that guy's fucking tongue out of his, out of his mouth, or he's. Uh, all the 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 bear Jew killing people with the fucking thing is a violent ass movie. Or Django, Django's just as violent. Mm-hmm. Where uh, where that guy shoots that guy's face like off yeah. completely on that horse at the beginning of the movie. So it if it's a violence thing, it it shouldn't be. This was just I love that it for the first half at least it was like over a couple days and then they did that jump forward and, and it was came back. sort of slow. Like it was very slow, but it was an enjoyable slow. It's one of those movies that you watch and you're like, oh, "Is that kid getting can... famous yet? That little girl? She was already famous. She's on a oh, she? she's on a sitcom. Okay, uh, I didn't know. Yeah, that. she's on a sitcom with uh, 
freaking uh, Diedrich Bader and uh, Katie Mixon, I think the American Girl or American something. Uh, and mom watches. She says she's incredible on it. But it's one of those movies you immediately watch and you're like, this is like Goodfellas. Like you can make sauce all day long and you mm-hmm. can go back to it. And it's such an enjoyable movie that I had seen it so many times. And my, and my wife was on like a phone call that she had to keep. Uh, she had a couple breaks during it. And every time she came back for a break, I paused it and put regular TV on. I said, I am not missing a second of this because it's so good. And you and, forgot to say Kurt Russell. He was in this. Oh, so many people were in this. <laughs> so Brad Pitt and Leo obviously killed it. Brad Pitt. Who were never in a movie together, right? Was this their first movie they ever? Pretty did sure this is the first movie they had done, and Brad Pitt had never won an award, never won an Oscar before this movie, and he had been in some serious good stuff, Oscar worthy for sure, and he deserved this. This was an amazing role for him. When you go back and you rewatch it, and you are looking at these, and that's what Quentin's great at is his character development and who these people are, and what he had did with the career. Uh, that Leo had in this movie and with what Brad Pitt had in the movie. It was just ingenious. And with Margot Robbie, uh, uh, really amazing playing Sharon Tate. What made this movie difficult, it was only difficult the first time. It's actually probably even more enjoyable the second well, time. Well, I first of all, I wasn't waiting for... I was waiting for Robert... Uh, Margot Robbie to be murdered. Yeah, well, that was the thing. You're watching it, and you're like, she's so sweet. I know this story. She's so sweet, and she's so beautiful, and you're watching her, and they're showing these scenes, and you're like, it is killing me to know that this girl is going to get slaughtered, and her baby is almost going to be cut out of her. You know, because we all knew we the true story, story. What, what's going to happen, the, what her ultimate end would be. What year did Manson family get? Well, get, 69. Uh, this was 69. The, yeah, 69. So so this had this was everything that happened when the movie when we was were coming, kids we were told a lot about Manson oh yeah it, like it, the psychopath Manson when this movie was being made we were told a lot about it too people didn't know what it was about and it's more than the the Manson thing is 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 an afterthought almost it's an afterthought you know it, it's I basically enjoyed... the story of what everything that happened during this mm-hmm. time period in L A following particularly the actor uh, Luke Perry's Leonardo last movie. Uh, yeah Leonardo DiCaprio played and that uh, his stuntman played by mm-hmm. Brad Pitt. Obviously, he came. they showed things that he came in contact, like went to the Playboy Mansion, and you got to see uh, Damian Lewis play Steve McQueen, and you got to see the Wilson Phillips girls there. The girl that got to play her looked exactly like her. And uh, obviously, the Bruce Lee stuff, and just everything that happened in when 1969. They, when, he, when he picked up those that girl... Andy McDowell's daughter. And took her back to That's the her, ranch. Yeah, Andy McDowell's daughter. So the people that know the... Yeah, so people that know the Manson story, they were they squatted on this old man's ranch that used to be used as a film set. Yep, they called the Spawn. The Spawn ranch. ranch, and that was named after George Spawn, and also brilliantly played oh, by yeah. um, Bruce Dern, but was going to be Burt Reynolds. It was Burt Reynolds all the way until Burt Reynolds died. And then they had to. He had to go back to one of his regulars. Obviously, he had used Bruce in Hateful Eight, so he was like, it was a natural. Can't, progression you can't for him. do any work. And he was brilliant at it. I mean, it just took like an old man kind of role. And it, Bert would have been good, but it almost would have been sad to, to see. Yeah, because he was really declining. Yeah, he was. Whereas declining. Bruce Dern sort of acted like he was really. Well, declining. Bruce Dern's that guy who's looked. He looked really young for a lot of his younger career, but after like quick. Digstown, he got old and he stayed. He stayed looking that way for the last twenty five years. But if you go back and you look at like, uh, uh, what's that? Uh, the Black Sunday or that one where he's mm-hmm. in space uh, with the robots, the little robots, and he he's like a terror farmer up oh, there. Yeah, he's so yeah, young yeah. in that. Man, he was good in this too, though. 
And then even the Manson girls, uh, they put like Laura, uh, Laura Dern, not Laura Dern, uh, Lena Dunham was one of them. I do not like that. Person. She's great in some things. Like I don't like her as a person. Mm, I don't know. She's she gave a, back a shelter dog. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that is kind of shitty. Like after like a long time. Uh, yeah, that kind of kills it for me. Uh, Dakota <laughs> Fanning, amazing in this. Oh, yeah, had never great. been in a Quentin movie. God, Kevin Smith's daughter, uh, Haley Harley Quinn Smith, was one of the Manson girls in this. Uh, obviously, Andy McDowell's daughter was really great in this. I'm going to have to see some ID. <laughs> 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 the guy who played Tex was really good in this, man. Oh, yeah. Really good. So the, these were... I, you should you should definitely listen to that Rogan pod the Quentin with who Quentin oh, so good dude he okay. just goes through everything man and he talks about all this stuff he could probably do ten of those pods oh well that's why I said he started a new one with oh. that director of Killing Zoe that uh, okay. that Avery um, damn I can't remember I said it earlier Killing Zoe Avery. could be on this list great movie man and Quentin um, executive produced that too. oh did he nice. so yeah this was all a great build up man it was a great build up but I, I tell people I could watch just the the monotony of their day for another hour and that's why I think I would enjoy that novel too because just seeing uh, Brad Pitt go up and fix the antenna and yeah, everything but the, and the, the whole the one the scene that made it for me the most is when they broke into that house and you knew the dog was there. Yeah. And what's his, he, he was, was holding the dog balls too. back. Brad, yeah. You forget yeah, Brad yeah. Pitt was tripping balls. Yeah. And, but he, remember, he was holding the dog back. Yep. Like the dog was getting ready to pr- And he was like... Well, he, he trained that dog wait. really yeah. well. Yep. Because we saw it earlier, earlier when, yep. when he put the dog food in and he made that clicking noise made with him, his... Uh, made him his, sit there and stare at the dog food until he yeah, said it was ready. And then he <laughs> does that clicking noise with his uh, mouth and then that dog leaped on that food. But that dog... Grab that actress. I love how fucked up. It, it was like the closest we've seen Brad Pitt come to his true romance character when he was playing fucked up in this. Yeah. Because remember, Tex <laughs> comes in. I know me, you. Man. I know you, don't I? And he's like, he's like, he says something, and he was like, no, it was stupider than that. <laughs> <laughs> Tex, that's what it was. <laughs> and then yeah, when he, when you realized because. They were playing with us for a while there. You were like, oh, we saw them coming up the driveway. They broke in the wrong house. They were supposed to go yep. to Sharon Tate's house, and but they went to Leonardo DiCaprio's house. All the way up, all the way up to them going up the driveway, we thought, like when Linda Cassadian oh, yeah. took yeah. off, we were like, uh, and that was an interesting thing Quentin talked about on the, uh, on the Rogan pod, and s- says that he really believes that Charlie didn't think they were going to kill the... Uh, he knew they were going to do something witchy, like they said, but he didn't think they were going to kill him. He says the, the next day, yeah, he knew they were going to kill the, uh, the Labiancas. The but he says, why would they bring Linda Kasabian along if that was going to be a straight-up murder? It made no sense bringing her along, yeah. too. I mean, and, I, and I get it. And apparently there's a book called Chaos, which a guy spent 20 years writing, and it's all about the but man. But if you stuff. inspire some of that violence, let's, like, if, let's say you were to give a speech outside and tell a bunch of your followers to go to the Capitol building yeah. and riot. And <laughs> yeah, you don't I mean, have to be in that group in of there, people but to Tex be... But Tex was crazy. Tex uh, was a murderer. Yeah, yeah. So well, Tex was... had cut off that guy's ear. Um, you didn't see it in this movie, but you saw it in the Jeremy Davies one. Yeah. They went... That was the first crime was they killed that that I forgot portly that guy. Yeah, yeah. Would they cut his ear off? Not or... LaBianca. No, no, that was the this is one, yeah. This is the first act of violence that okay. they really did. And uh, so it led. So Charlie knew what Tex was capable. Tex yeah. was a, a maniac. Oh yeah, he was a serial killer. I think um, what's his name? Obviously, Manson was obviously a psychopath. Yeah, but yeah, he was more of well, like he was a, a wanted to be a Jesus figure. Yeah, 
And if you read that book, Chaos, it talks a lot about his the the acid test that the CIA did with him, and there was there's a whole lot of stuff that they dealt with that a lot of people don't know about. And uh, they, he talks a lot about that book, which is very interesting. A couple of those girls have come up for parole and didn't oh, get yeah, it they recently. Get it. <laughs> so, yeah, so when the door opened and they walked in, you were like, oh, my God. In the theater, we yeah, were like, holy yeah. shit, this is not how it happened. And it, it's going to be because we were already familiar with what he did in Inglorious Bastards. I mean, he killed Hitler. We obviously know that's not how Hitler died. He didn't die, uh, burn to death in a in fucking fire. in a fire in the, uh, in the movie theater and everything. <laughs> but we were all happy with it. So when it when we all can, at the same theater you can realized kill it. Hitler and Manson followers and zombies. You oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can do that stuff yeah. all day long. Well, that's why the new Nazis, the, the new Indiana Jones movie is obviously going back to the Nazis. Why wouldn't to. you? It's a, it's that's the one group of people that you can you can annihilate. Yep, and no one's gonna shake no an eye gonna, at other know. than other than other Nazis and fuck them. Yeah. Who gives a shit? So when we got to see, that's why the audience was so like twisting in their stomach because you didn't you almost didn't want to see Margot Robbie die. I mean, obviously it's a movie about uh, we thought real history here. And when it turns out, oh my God! Not only do we not have to see it, we get to see one of the our favorite characters throughout the movie totally annihilate these guys, and we didn't give a shit. There was cheering. There was everything in the movie theater. We loved it, man. But he and, he got he got stabbed. Yeah, he got stabbed. I love it. Wait, flicked it. Yeah, but he's smart enough not to pull it out. Yeah, and he just left it in there. But when that girl, her face got. Uh, bit by the dog and she busted out and then Leo's in the pool he has a flamethrower <laughs> he grabs the flamethrower if no you're not fully on board when he's blow- when he's torching yeah. this girl it's nothing gonna and I love when Emil Hirsch comes down yeah. the driveway yep. what the fuck happened guys and then he invites him in the drinks and then in. they go have drinks and, with oh Sharon Tate <laughs> and the way the once upon a time comes yeah. up on screen you're like this was fucking brilliant man mm-hmm. and it's really an amazing movie I could watch it like once a month and be completely happy with it it might end up going down as one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies. And this is t- t- coming from second, someone who saw Pulp Fiction nine times in the theater. I saw it 27 times, and it keeps getting funnier <laughs> every time I see it. <laughs> so, yeah. I implore Justin to watch it again with different eyes. Oh, that's right. He didn't like this movie. Uh, I understand. He, he, he went with us and didn't like yeah, it. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't. It, was, right. it was a little slow, and it was one of those situations that I think that once you're out of it, it's hard to get back into it. I, I've been that I way guess, with movies. I've been that I mean, way. I never, I never want to... Knock people's tastes. Yeah, yeah. Because well, in as many occasions where I'll go, you would back have to strap me down to watch some of these mar- these superhero movies. Like you would have to literally forcibly keep me in a seat. Because but I would, then again, when you watch some of them, they're done. They're good. done well. And Winter you know, Soldier was done well. Yeah, I mean a lot of them are done the, well. All the um, ones so, with the Wolverine. I think if he was at his house and he could take breaks and he 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 went into it realizing what he was. You hear watching. what he's trying to tell you, Justin? You need breaks. Well, him, like everybody else, was, was kind of had the wool pulled over their eyes thinking that this was yeah. 80% Manson, 20% whatever else was going on in 1969. I enjoyed all the stuff that was going on. I did, too. I did, too. I mean, the, that scene with him reading the script next to the little oh, girl, rehearsing for the role, he's God, like... That stuff with him and Timothy Olyphant, it's all good stuff, like, man. This like, is like next-level acting we're seeing here, man. And then, he, you know... The it, stuff when, when he... When Brad Pitt goes to the Spawn Ranch and, he, and he's got to change the tire and he beats that guy up and you know Tex is coming back on his mm-hmm. horse and he just misses him and everything and it's just it's such good stuff, man. I, I love it. I love all that stuff. I love the rise and the fall. I love Kurt Russell narrating half half of the movie through it and then playing the stunt guy with Zoe Bella's his angry wife. <laughs> 
so good, man. Or even that thing that we don't know if Brad Pitt killed his wife or not. Yeah. You know, they showed him on the yacht, kind of Natalie Wood style. That's, yep. that's what I yeah. thought of was Natalie uh, act, Wood. Absolutely. Uh, because Natalie Wood went out on a yacht, her husband came back, and she didn't. And everyone questioned what the hell and happened. Chris Falken was on that boat. He was on the yacht, too. That's oh, crazy. Yeah. I forgot about that. Uh, and that just that scene where you saw him with the spear gun and his wife bitching and complaining, and then they cut the scene before we saw anything happen. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just brilliant, man. I loved it. If you're alone with your wife and you kill her with a spear gun by accident, no one's believing that story. No. That, Unless you get things. her to write it in blood as she's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> as yeah, she's yeah. falling in yeah. and out of consciousness. That's like my dog pulled the trigger. Yeah, your you dog pulled homework? the trigger, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that reminds me of Plague Dogs. Oh, Plague Dogs. The dog was so happy to finally see a human in the woods that he ran up to him, the hunter, and the hunter was put his gun down like this next to him to pet the dog, and the dog triggered it what the and fuck? killed the hunter. And it was his friend. I think they even knew him at that point. But oh, it was man. that's what started. That's them. how bad this movie was. <laughs> I saw that on it was on. Uh, there's a free service that plays a lot of movies uh, called. I think it's stirred and no Toby uh, T U B I. It, it plays a lot of great cult classic movies, and they have actually a category of cult classics. It's like a hundred of them. Really good ones like Elvira, Mistress in the Dark, all these crazy ones. And one of them is Plague Dogs, and I was like, "Holy yeah, shit, Plague Dogs is on here!" I'm not watching it, but it, it is funny because you can Google like dogs that have killed or shot there, and it's not yeah, yeah. unusual. No, it's probably not. Or it's, it's like toddlers doing it. You know, it doesn't take much. To the craziest story I had is these two dudes' car broke down. Remember when you used to have to put uh, put fuses in? Oh yeah, the different colored fuses mm-hmm. in there, and said, and then every once in a while, if your headlight went went out, you could put a penny in there. Oh yeah, yeah and yeah. bridge the. Yeah, yeah, just like how you would do it these, in the old school. These the dudes house. put a uh, a twenty two bullet, but jammed it in there, and it got so hot that it went off and shot the guy in the dick or something. That is hilarious. <laughs> that's the best story I've heard all day. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Uh, all right, yeah, so well, thanks. <laughs> that's my screen. So this is part one of our uh, best screenplays series. <laughs> Much like a lot of times when me and Dave are doing pods, they become series before we realize it. We were like mentioning all these other great ones, but. Next week, me and Justin have a great one. I I went on to a deep dive this week and went through a Spider Man marathon and watched all eight films one after another. So I got a lot. That's I got a lot so of so sad. <laughs> I got a lot to talk about. A lot You're of good stuff. Sixteen hours you'll never yeah, have man, again. It's good. I loved it. I had a great time. Uh, a lot of good stuff. A lot of bad stuff. I have a lot of thoughts. I'm going to share with you people. I bet you do. <laughs> so join me and Justin next week for that. And then me and Dave are going to. Uh, we got a lot of good stuff coming up all the way leading up to our big 200 episode, which is going to be a wild card and it's going to be a great epic trivia challenge episode so definitely with, join with a new us prize a new prize new questions it's going to be great man that last one was epic so uh, join us for that but if you want to get a hold of us you can uh, shout us out on Facebook where we uh, show all our <laughs> shout pictures us out. Just, just shout us out anywhere <laughs> even platforms we're not Facebook <laughs> yeah, we're not even on Twitter but shout us out at Twitter we don't care fascinating with films you can just pull, our, pull us up on iTunes or SoundCloud that's our two platforms leave us a like or a comment or you can shoot us an email films at gmail.com and we'll get back to you uh, but yeah next week we got some Spider-Man so it's going to be exciting then soon after that we'll be doing some uh, screenplays part 2 so until then see ya bye oh and in case I don't see ya good afternoon good evening and good night good afternoon good evening and good night